With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. My daughter, who maybe she wouldn't even want me to share this example, she has always wanted to be an actress. She's been in every high school production. And I said, what have you been doing? She says, I need acting lessons. And I'm like, no, you don't. You need to get to 100 auditions. There are no such thing as audition lessons. And then I did something even worse. So I said, look, if you don't apply for at least 30 things by the time I next see you, which is tomorrow, uh, your grandmother's going to die. (laughs) You are my role model. And the best thing that I took away from that story was you took away her crutches. So what if you take away a crutch in your life? Stop just thinking about ideas and go out and live them. That's going to give you way more leverage than... Another session with your buddy where you talk about all the problems in the world. Right, and I would say even further at our own expense, stop reading things from James Alvacher and Ramit Sethi and do instead. There you go. Totally agree. Payroll and benefits can be such a pain. Thankfully, Gusto has your back. Gusto offers the best clear, and automated payroll for the modern small business. From unlimited and off-cycle payrolls to direct deposit, multiple states, and pay rates, Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting for you, so it's easy for you to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months for free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash James. Life insurance can be confusing and time consuming. And if there's ever a payout, you're not even going to be around to spend it. But one company is making it a lot easier. PolicyGenius.com is the place to go to learn about life insurance, compare quotes from America's top providers, and save up to 40% on your policy. If you've been putting off life insurance or want to make sure that the insurance you have is right for you, check out PolicyGenius.com today. You can save up to 40% just by comparing policies. The quotes are free, there's no sales pressure, and zero hassle. PolicyGenius.com, it's life insurance for the 21st century. So I've got Ramit Sethi back on for part two. Ramit, how's it going? Hey, it's good. How about you? Good. You know, we we um, 
We went like two hours, I think, last time, or an hour and a half last time. And then we were kicked out of the studio. And there's so much more to talk about, about your book, which is called Your Move, The Underdog's Guide to Building Your Business, which I still want to unpack, basically, if you're an underdog, how you could build a business. But there's just... You know, I, 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 you also wrote a recent article. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up right now. Which, and you, 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 you don't call me out in it, but you point me out, and so I think it's fun to talk about. You wrote this great article. Please stop writing about how vulnerable you are, and that's kind of going all around. Like people shared it with me and stuff. Plus, I see in the picture here, I've lost a lot of weight since 2011. <laughs> so thank you for putting that particular picture up. Um, uh, I, I don't know where to begin. I guess let's begin where we left off, which is your book, Your Move, The Underdog's Guide to Building Your Business. And I feel like we only were touching the beginnings of that. Well, the funny thing about having to record a second podcast is this is what happens when you get two guys who love to talk about themselves together in the same room. We get kicked out of every room. You guys are taking too long. Get out of here. So thanks for having me back. Very excited to talk about business, psychology. And I, li- I like talking about the concept of an underdog. Yeah. Because oh yeah, we never di- dive di- down on the title. Yeah. What is an underdog? Well, we all kind of intuitively know an underdog. You know, you may not have all the connections. You may not have the massive list that somebody else does. You may not have the pedigree, but you still find a way to do it. And this is really common because lo- look at all the things people talk about for reasons they can't do something. You know, oh my blog doesn't have that much traffic, and the very best people I know are just like. Yeah, and like we all start from different places in life. Also, also, I just want to add to that, and I'm always going to interrupt. I'm really sorry. Uh, those metrics, oh, I don't have enough of. Those metrics change every day. Like blog traffic, I think was an important metric even like three years ago. It's not as important right now. There are other metrics that are more important, and those and keeping track of those metrics is sort of important, but. Produce having something good to say and valuable and unique is more important than any numeric metrics. The numeric metrics will come as you've seen while you were building your business. Yeah, that's a really hard and uncomfortable concept. Uncomfortable because we judge our lives. Yeah. We 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 literally get uh, happy neurochemicals popping up when um when we have oh I got more likes oxytocin yep. oh, I got more shares serotonin oh uh, I have an excuse though that I can't do it because of this yeah. okay so now cortisol levels actually go down like you're when you have stress about something oh you should do this you, you get stressed and cortisol spikes up so there's two ways to resolve it you actually do it and cortisol goes down or you have an excuse and cortisol also goes down so from the brain's perspective the same exact thing happens the job achieved cortisol goes down. But in one case, you did something. In the other case, you just had an excuse. And I think about it from the social perspective. Think about when we were kids. I mean, you played duck hunt with your friend or your brother and who got the higher score. So we're kind of conditioned to look at that score and judge ourselves based on it. Who got a higher score? Who jumped higher? Who got a higher GPA? Yeah. At least in my case, if you're Indian, you better be getting that high GPA. And, and it just carries on through life and definitely into business. Oh, what size is your list? How much was your last launch? And all those are important. I definitely think there's room for quantitative measures in business. It's it's very important. But the uncomfortable part that I found is the art, the softer side, which is to say, if I post something on my Instagram account, if I post a picture of sushi, I get like a thousand likes or 2000 likes, okay? 
if I post a really deep concept, maybe a video that took me three hours to edit, maybe some personal finance concept, maybe it gets 200 likes. So what am I supposed to post sushi all day long? No, what it tells me is there's room for both, that you want to mind the numbers, but you also want to be posting stuff that people want and that moves people. And by the way, the marketplace, meaning, meaning marketplace meaning an area where money flows around, the marketplace is aware of that. So, <laughs> so when you look at like podcast CPMs, for instance, I can guarantee, so CPM is cost per thousand downloads that advertisers are willing to pay. So uh, I know the full range of the podcast industry. A podcast like this gets the highest possible CPM because there's discussions like what you and I are having and, and the other podcasts I do. And when I look at the lower end, I'm not going to call out any names, but please do it. it well, Tell us well, who, James. No, but I have fun <laughs> listening to these podcasts as well, but I know what their CPMs are too. And it's like half of mine because nobody knows if they, if they're entertaining, but nobody knows if there are people who are serious about improving their lives, want, are willing to... Uh, you know, take action yeah. to, to improve things. I'll give you an example from our own business, which is quantitative and qualitative. And this is, for me, really fun. This is where art and science come together. So we have a list of, let's, I'm going to approximate the numbers. Let's say 600,000, okay? We have one list. And we have another By list. By the way, that's a huge list. Oh, thank you. And then, and then we have another list, which I'm is- I'm jealous now. <laughs> my, my cortisol <laughs> is spiking. Uh -oh. <laughs> we, so then we got another list of- let's say about 10,000, okay? And these are two different lists of two types of people. So we sold a product, same product, same funnel to both lists, 600,000, roughly 10,000. We generated more revenue from the tiny list of 10,000. Sure, because I'll tell, I know exactly, I'm guessing how your list is structured. The first list is people who arrived at your website, a, pot, a window probably popped up and said, hey, for more of our meat, you know, put in your email address here. So that's okay. Those are good people who are interested in Ramit. But your other list, my guess is, is let's say people who signed up for a specific course or all of your courses or whatever. So those are people who actually put in credit cards who are willing to buy things from Ramit. So they're, they're, they're your, your 10,000 true fans. So that's who you actually, now I love the free list too. I think the free list is actually in some ways more valuable because you have an important message that you want to spread, spread it to a wide number of people, but you also need to support your team and make money. And so the other list is important because that's how you build your business. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that is the art and science of it. Like you said, some people would say, let's just find more people like the 10,000. Other people, like what you just pointed out, hey, those 600,000 people are really important. They're going to share it on Facebook. They're going to do X. Maybe they'll turn into that 10,000. There's no easy answer here, but right. our focus, and one of the things I really, really come down on the side of is quality matters. So if you're doing a podcast like the one we're on right now, we're having a cool discussion. We're going to have fun. We're going to tell some jokes. We're going to, hopefully you're going to tell us those people's podcasts who you don't like. We'll get some names going. No, I like the podcast. Oh. I just say lower CPFs. Then I'm less interested. <laughs> uh, but this is the kind of stuff where people are going to engage. They're going to see you on the street. They're going to say, hey, James, those are infinitely more valuable than just looky-loos, especially on the internet. In my experience, it's not just um, 100 to one. You know, the, the rule has been roughly 1% of people will buy. In the internet, there's so many people now that it's maybe 1,000, sometimes 10,000 to one. 
Yeah. So really finding that needle in a haystack or even microscopic needle in a haystack becomes really important. And the best way to do is just to be really good at what you do. And by the way, you're kind of specifically talking about, but maybe not. L let me ask you this. Are you specifically talking about selling you know, what you might call information products. So an information product might be, I'm going to do a special report on 10 unusual ways to build muscle before the summer or t 10 ways to put your path, put yourself on the path to success or get a raise or whatever. So that's an information product. Are you specifically talking about that or can that work in other ways? Oh, it, it definitely works in other ways as well. Yes to the information products, but when it comes to finding people online who are going to take action, that's really hard. So it's not that hard to get somebody to sign up for your list, okay? It's not that hard to get them to double confirm. It's not even that hard to get people to comment on your list. You can get them to say something like, yeah, I definitely needed that today. But all those things are basically worthless. It's really hard to get them to leave an intelligent comment. Hey, Ramit, really like this essay I liked point in paragraph four, but you missed out on this. You need to know about this guy's research over here. If you have somebody who leaves a comment like that, whether it's on Instagram or your blog or Twitter or whatever, that person is really, really valuable. Right. They may not have paid you yet. That's fine. There are a lot of different ways to show value. But to get somebody to engage with you, whether you're selling an information product, whether you have an e-commerce business, whether you're a dog walker and you're trying to find clients in, in your local town, to find someone who's actually really serious and put some skin in the game, that's hard. Well, let's talk about dog walking for a second, okay? You brought it up. Uh, I argue that the email list is just as important for a dog walker as it is for Ramit Sethi. And tell me if you disagree with my argument. So I want to. I moved to a new city or I'm, I'm at my job in a cubicle and I want to quit and now I want to be a professional dog walker. Okay. So- so I start writing articles. Here's what you need to know about dogs. Here's the 10 things most dog owners don't know that will increase your dog's health, happiness, whatever, a thousandfold. So I start putting that out. I start, if you want to see more, I have a special report, a uh, hundred tips of better foods to feed your dog. Get Sign up for my email list by getting this report. So now you have all these people, hopefully some in your area who are doing this. And now you can send out an email saying, hey, I'm not only available for dog walking, but I'll also do the shopping to get your, these foods. I'll deliver them in a, in a monthly box to you if you sign up for this subscription service. Uh, I will take your dogs in for shots and, and I have the right network of veterinarians. Um, I have other friends who can, who can help with dog walking or dog babysitting, or I have kennel services that are better if, if you go on vacation so your dogs are treated right. So now you're offering a range of services to people who have already who have already trusted you as a trusted source. They've they're signed up for your email list. And now you can make uh, affiliate fees from the doctors, from the nutritional products. You could um, take a 10% plus on the other dog walkers or on the kennel services. You could build a real business. And if you have a thousand true followers who subscribe to you, you're going to make a living. And so we just took your quote unquote funnel idea and built a business for a potential dog worker. And by the way, that person's probably making more than being an accountant at Procter & Gamble now. Yeah, I think it's great. I love it. I totally agree. I want to even push that example to its limits. So push it. The, the funnel, people get obsessed with funnels and all this Facebook ads and all this stuff. What you really need to know is, do you have something that people want? And can you find a way to stay in touch with them and be there when they are ready to buy?
So I love your funnel example. It, to me, it's QST. It's quality. So what you're doing by um, giving 10 tips on dogs. And, Which have to be really good tips. They have to be great. And and most people ignore that part. They think, oh, I'm just going to put this together in a night and build my email list like Ramit just said. It has to be better. You want no competition. It has to be 10 times better than anything else ever written about dogs. Yeah, everybody it can't be 20% that. better. It has to be 10 times better. I woke up two hours early today just to write before I got here into studio and I finished one and a half pages. And that took two hours. But those pages are amazing. And when they go out, they're going to be, people are going to love it. They're going to engage and they're going to buy. What's, what's the title? Because it's going to go out before, before this No, no, it's part of a, it's part okay. of a 50 page sales page. And it was one and a half pages. But I'm really proud of it. And whether or not that, particular part made me a dollar, I'm going to look at that five years from now and be really proud of the copy in that. So um, I think with the 10 tips for the dog walker, which we're both going to agree, they're going to be amazing. That's going to make it easier for you to charge a premium price. So I never like to compete uh, for low prices. It's always ironic to me. You have people who are out there saying, I have the world's best product. By the way, it's 50% off until tomorrow. That doesn't make any sense. If you have the world's best product, you would never discount it. In fact, you would say you're not allowed to join us until you fulfill these buyer criteria. It's so interesting. I, I, I agree philosophically with what you're saying and you say it was such, you, you've been saying this for years. But you, always, I know, but you've seen the numbers, right? When you do discounts, is when, that where we're When going? you do discounts, you create, uh, A, you reward your most loyal and, and, and quickest to respond buyers. So I don't mind having a reward system as opposed to viewing it as a discount. Second, you do create scarcity, which is an important part of, you know, copywriting and, and selling. I as long as you're honest about it ends tomorrow. I can't argue with that. Uh, I will say this is one of those art, not science areas of business where if I strictly went by the numbers, I would discount all the time. But, and by the way, I agree with you because you, are, you have a hardcore philosophy on this that you've stuck with as yeah. long as I've known you and it's worked and- I don't have the confidence to do that myself. And I don't, re I don't recommend anyone else do that. I think they have to be you to do that. Yeah, well, we've been pretty, I think hardcore is a good word. We've been pretty disciplined about um, not discounting, about attracting people who are serious and actually being really clear about who shouldn't be on our list. So for example, we don't allow people with credit card debt to join our flagship courses. That costs us millions of dollars every year. Right. Millions. But, I think that's smart though. Because that, 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 your renewal rates will go up if you avoid people who have credit card debt. Yeah, we have the best quality customers. And I'll give you an example of that. We have our support team and they've worked at a number of other internet companies. And I chat with them and they say, like, you're not going to believe what happened today. And they'll tell me a story about somebody who had some system issue and it was our fault. Our technology was messed up. And they said at other companies, this customer would have been screaming and rightfully so because they were annoyed by our problem. They're like, in our business, the customers are like, hey, I totally understand. Just let me know when it's fixed really appreciate the things you guys do. So when you have a high quality customer, it trickles down to every part of the org. Just like in relationships, if you have a really high quality partner, they're, they're great at everything. And that is something that we stand for, we love. Not to, not to look down on anybody else who does discounting because it can work for your business. But I just, for the people listening, I just want to say, you can choose. You can choose if you want to discount. There are a lot of massive businesses that do discounting really well. You also don't have to do it. I agree. And and by the way, I just want to say we've gotten really into the weeds really fast, <laughs> which is fine. Like normally, normally you're you're one of the few 
business guys I have on the podcast. Like for some reason, this podcast is in the business category on iTunes. Yeah. But I really don't like having business guys just because I think that's three or four steps ahead of where most people are. Most people are just simply, they need almost the mindset. Oh, here's, here's what it sounds like to take a step of, to take action away from the cubicle mm-hmm. or whatever I am unhappy with. And we're getting right in, into the weeds. I, I, again, I wish I had uh, your confidence on customers. Uh, you know, I have, most of my stuff is free. I have a big free email list. I put a lot of time into it. This podcast is free. My books are like 99 cents. People sometimes even criticize me. Oh, he's just trying to sell books. Really? For 99 cents, a yeah. book that I put three years of work into? Here's what they say to me. Uh, I know how to get rich. Uh, I'll write a book on how to be rich. I'm like, do you understand the economics of the publishing industry? That is the worst possible financial decision yeah. you could make. But it's kind of this thing that just rolls off the tongue. Oh, this guy's just trying to sell his book. Well, well so what if he is? James has an amazing book. Buy the book. In fact, you should buy 10 and read all 10 copies. The well, same copies. I appreciate that recommendation. But but it's, again, what we talked about earlier. Everybody has, when that, you know, people see, people are stressed at their work. They don't know, is the, is the industry changing? Is my job changing? I don't like my boss. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. So stress goes up. And there's two, there's cortisol goes up and there's two ways to reduce it. Like I said before, you either do something or you have an excuse. So what you just said is an easy excuse and the brain doesn't know the difference. The brain says, oh, thank you. Thank you, James. You just reduced my that cortisol level that was hurting me so much. The, there's no lion in the jungle anymore. Um, but, you know, I do agree with you very strongly and this is where I, I appreciate what you do. If you have a philosophy about what kind of customer you want, then I think that helps build a foundation of a very strong business. Or, or by the way, a strong anything, a strong yeah. readership, a strong- Relationship. Yeah, a strong relationship. Uh, when I had Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank on the podcast, this was like a year and a half ago. He, um, all we talked about was relationships, which is odd. Like, mm. you know, on Shark Tank, he just talks about being cutthroat on deals. And he seems like, in, you know, Mr. Evil rather than Mr. Wonderful. But we talked the entire podcast about relationships. And he says, you need to do due diligence for three years on a potential life partner to make sure that everything kind of, you know, matches up in terms of your philosophies and loyalties and, and financially and so on. And you do the same thing, I feel, with your customers. You're kind of putting them through hoops and seeing if, is this the right customer? So I have some information products that I sell and other types of products. And I don't have as hardcore a philosophy. I, I, my view is, hey, I want to get it out to as many people as possible. I'm a, a strong believer in this message. Not that you're not, but uh, because I don't take as hardcore as an approach of you, as you, maybe one out of a hundred customers turn into what would be your worst nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> Like I'll have somebody say, um, I'm two years past the cancellation period, but I want all my money back. And uh, I never once opened your email. And then I'll look and I'll see he's opened every single one. <laughs> and not only that, he signed up for other things. And you know, uh, I love, you know, I love these stories. And he gets every free special report that, that is only for the subscribers. He's gotten my book for free or all my books, whatever. And 
And so then I had to think, well, is this a policy issue? Like, do I have to work on this as a policy or do I just say this is a bad apple, like a bad, you know, character and I'm just going to refund them so I don't have to deal with them. And, you know, usually I just refund automatically. But his case was so extreme. Like for years, he's been opening everything mm. free, expensive, more expensive, getting everything for free. And then he wanted all his money back. Where, where'd this guy live? I don't know. Do you want to take a trip where you and I fly to this guy's place and surprise him? Yes, let's do that. I'm not saying we there's going to be any violence. I, we'll take him a picnic basket and we'll give him a nice gift. I love this idea. Let's do it. And we'll just, I want to talk to this guy. I want to sit there. I want to sit in a public park. We'll roll out that red and white, you know, thing you sit on. All American dream. Yeah. And we're just going to, maybe we'll get a couple golden retrievers. They'll be very Americana. And I just want to say, hey man, like, tell me what's up. Tell me what's going on in your life. And I'm probably not the best facilitator because as you can guess from this fantasy of mine, I'm pretty vindictive, but I think it would be a lot of fun. And I think we could get a, honestly, I just want to know what's going on in this guy's head. So, so, so A, I think that's a great idea. But again, I like to take a meta look at this discussion in the sense that- like, Why um, are we talking about this? No, no, but it's an interesting thing. What, what's really happening here is we're coming up with a tactical idea for my business. And so it's in the weeds. But what's really happening here is that two peers who have known each other for a long time exchange ideas and help each other come up with solutions. And that's an important step in reinventing your life, really. Like you, you could learn from mentors, but mentors are not going to sit there for, for hours with you and going over everything. And then you, you but, but it's important to learn from mentors. You've had your mentors, I've had mine. And then it's important to teach what you know, which is what you do so well in, in your courses, in your books, in everything, and what I attempt to do. And, but it's also important to have, for everything you're interested in, a different group of peers, you could say, look, hey, this is a situation that's happening to me. What would you do? Because you you just had an idea that I never that never even once crossed my mind. I've been oddly confused about this one, even though the obvious answer is just refund his money and not deal with him. But you just came up with a creative idea that I love and I want to do. And that's, I think, how peers, the, the benefit of peers working together. I totally agree. And I love stepping out of the weeds and reflecting on what the meta lesson of what we're doing here is. Number one, I love when you say peers. It's two of us who have mutual respect. Notice that we actually have different types of businesses. It might, see, it might seem similar to people who are like, oh, that's an ebook or a video course, but it's actually quite different. And you- And different a- messages too. Yeah. I think um, we could criticize each other's messages, but that's not what this is about. But I think we have different- slices of life that we try to help people with. Bingo. And we we tend to agree on a lot, but we disagree on certain things. Yeah. The peer part is mutual respect. So you chose to go one route, I chose to go another route. That's fine. We kind of understand the dynamics of why. And also in that example where you brought this person up, you you it wasn't a mentor-mentee relationship. You were just like, I got this guy, this is what's going on. And a peer is going to say, here's what I did. Or hey, let's do this. Did you notice that word let's? Let's is so important where two people, one person says, let's do it together. And a mentor or or a coach is often going to say, you need to do this. And when I'm on the receiving end of that, sometimes I welcome it and sometimes I kind of cringe because I don't want to be told what to right. do. Right, and so what you're doing physically right now for the benefit of the audience is you were literally cringing. Like you folded your arms, yeah. you moved in. And when you're, when literally when you're, Physically, your body gets smaller. It's like you're afraid of something that's hitting you, or you know, you're trying to make yourself a small target in the jungle. So, so I think that does happen in this in this visceral way. 
So the the best. Oh, the- oh, oh, and I, I wanted to add one more thing to what you just said on the meta side, which is that you suggested let's, like you said, let's go and visit him. And there's a reason why. The, one of the reasons why you say that, which I I think is subtle, and I just want to uh, mention to the audience, because my first thought is is we're not just doing this to talk to one guy. We're doing this because we could then write about it and share it with other people, the lessons we learned and maybe the lessons that customer learned. We're actually thinking of it as an action we can take. So that's the important word is an action we can take as opposed to theorize about and then find the results of that action and then write about it or video about it or podcast about it, share it in some way. And I think, again, on the meta side, process is art. So, So what you do uh, you know, it's sort of it's sort of like uh, an example of that is it, it takes 15 years to make, you write about this in your book, it takes 15 years to make an overnight success, but people don't see the 15 years. But now it's important to show the 15 years. Process is art every step of the way. Love that, love that. I hope everyone's really listening to what you just said. Process is art, that's absolutely amazing. I also think, you know, both of us write copy. We write emails, we do videos, we do podcasts, things like that. I was working with a copywriter and he had written a, a scene where um, he was in a restaurant and it was like kind of a mid-range restaurant, like a little bit better than a Chipotle. And, you know, he went up, ordered, sat down, waited for the food to be brought. And it was a very dry piece of copy, just very dry. And I said, okay, let's try to break this apart. I said, I want you to give me what happens at a McDonald's and I want you to give me what happens when you go to a five-star restaurant. Okay, so the McDonald's thing, he kind of effortlessly knew. He wrote the copy. The five-star thing, the copy was not good. And I said, what's up? And he said, I said, have you been to a multi-course meal? And he goes, no. And I said, aha, if you haven't been to a multi-course meal, one of those expensive meals, it's really hard to articulate what happens at one of those things. Until I got a little older and somebody took me to one of those restaurants, my family didn't go to those things to know that the water is always filled to the top. It never gets below 80%. To know that they're taking away your plates and bringing the next one for every single course and all these amuse-bouche, all this stuff. That's what makes copy shine. And that's, I'm telling you this story because if you're gonna do a business, if you're even thinking of doing a business or writing copy or doing comedy, you have to be versatile at every level of the game. It, it's so important. And, the, and because at every level, there's nuances that you won't understand until you do it. Like the filling the water to the top all the time is a nuance. It has nothing to do with the chef. It has nothing to do with the food. It has nothing to do with the decor. But that is one nuance among a hundred that makes something five-star instead of four-star or four-star instead of three-star. So, so... People forget there's so much theorizing out there. Yeah. Like everyone's, you and I both know, I hate them. I hate them so much. You and I both know this whole cohort of people that hold like motivational or inspirational seminars. Just please shut up and go <laughs> home and lock the door. And like, like it's, it's, you have to, you have to do things and doing things are hard, is hard, yeah. but so, it's also wonderful. Exactly. So for us to get on a plane and go meet this guy, yes, that would be a hilarious story that could turn into 10 emails, five podcasts. The point is stop thinking about stuff, get up and go do it. You don't know what it's like to be at a gym. 
hire a trainer for one hour, pay him $100 and just say, can you show me around this gym for one hour? That's it. And now you're going to know at least the basics. So for all these motivational blowhards, just shut up, go out there in the world, go to a restaurant. If you can't afford to go to a five-star restaurant, that's fine. Get creative. What could you do if you wanted to know what happens in a five-star restaurant? I could think of 10 different things. I'd go on YouTube. I'd look at reviews for French Laundry. I'd watch a movie where they go to a restaurant. I'd notice every detail and write it down. I would ask a friend who's done it. I'd ask my mom. She's, I don't even know if she's been to one of those things. I would find a way to find out what goes in that restaurant if I didn't have the money to do it. So stop just thinking about ideas and go out and live them. That's going to give you way more leverage than another session with your buddy where you talk about all the problems in the world. Right, and I would say even further at our own expense, stop reading things from James Alvacher and Ramit Sethi. There you go. And and do instead. Totally agree. And and I don't put us in this category of the motivational. I'm just saying it's so important to do. Can I can I share with you one example? So my my daughter, who maybe she wouldn't even want me to share this example, she has always wanted to be an actress. And now she's she's been in every high school production. She's always been great. And she's 18 years old and staying with me for the summer. And I said, okay, well, every single day for the past year, I've sent you uh, audition announcements that Backstage.com sends out every day. I put in your criteria and they send me and I forward it to you. What have you been doing? And she's like, well, I, I don't have a headshot. And so I said, okay, stand up against this wall. I, I took her picture, bam, headshot done. Let's, let's together load it up on Backstage. And she says, I don't have a reel of my performances. And she said, I thought you did have a high school teacher who made a reel of all your stuff. And she said, but that's just high school productions. And I said, yeah, you're 18. You've only been in high school. And by the way, you were the lead in like seven of these productions. So use it. So we load up that reel. And she says, I need acting lessons. And I'm like, no, you don't. You need to get to 100 auditions. There are no such thing as audition lessons. You need to audition. And then we turned on some TV shows. You think that person on that TV show is a good actor or actress? There's a thousand TV shows out there. There's not that many good actors. Like, just get out there. And so to today, so that was, and then and then I did something even worse. So so I said, look, if you don't apply for at least thirty things by the time I next see you, which is tomorrow, uh, your grandmother's going to die. <laughs> and and. And I said, I love your grandmother and you love your grandmother and it would be a horrible, horrible thing. <laughs> and But you need to shake my hands on it right now. Oh your grandmother God. will die if you don't do this by Friday of next week. You are my role model <laughs> for being a dad, by the way. I'm writing this down right now. Well, I wish I didn't wait until she was 18 though to say this. <laughs> but so she very reluctantly shook my hand and I said, this is it. Like, like this is truth. Like your grandmother's gonna die. <laughs> and so she shook my hand and I will say today, She's in an Al Pacino HBO movie. Wow. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm serious. She's like up in upstate New York. They she got like a three hour ride up there. And she's she's Congratulations. Yeah. She, That's and, incredible. And she was in and then two days ago she was in a NYU student film. So talk about first of all, the grandmother thing is the best part of that. That is absolutely genius. But imagine getting pushed like that. One of the things I learned from my students is I asked them, I asked them in a huge chat I was doing with them. I said, when was the last time somebody looked at you and said, you know, you did an okay job, but I think you could have done better. I think you could have put more time in there. I don't think you gave it your best. And people were like stunned. They're like, honestly, maybe elementary school. Most people are not pushed hard enough, especially in this country. Oh, let's coddle you until you're great. Oh, millennials. No, 
you tell them if, if it has to be lying, parents lie to them. Please, my parents lie to me all the time. Are you kidding me? I encourage it, please. And you pushed her. And the best thing that I took away from that story was you took away her crutches. So what if you take away a crutch in your life? Oh, I need a headshot. Great, here's a Polaroid camera. Go ahead, get a headshot from this guy on the street. Oh, I need this. No, you don't. Skip that. Next, I need this. What if you took away those crutches? That's the same thing I did back right. to the discounting thing just for, just for a second. <clears throat> we used to discount, and then I asked my team, what if we took away discounts? And it was a big crutch because that was the only way they knew how to really generate a lot of sales. Suddenly, they had to get creative. Suddenly, that was a rule I put yeah, in. Yeah, interesting. And, and it was really hard, but it worked. So same thing for everyone listening. Oh, I need to go, in order to write this copy, I need to go to a five-star restaurant. Eh, maybe not. Maybe there's 10 different creative ways you could do it. And I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was applying to colleges, uh, I applied to a whole bunch. And you have to put like a 50 or $75 application fee in these uh, applications at the time. That was a lot of money. So could I have scrounged it up from my parents? Like maybe, but I was just like, I'm not gonna put that in there. I, I included a note that said, listen, it's tough to, like I'm applying to a lot of colleges. Uh, I'm not including the fee. I understand if you need the fee, please write me back. I will send you the fee. But I hope you can understand that this is a lot of money. I love this because you take risks. I don't. I I don't take. Yeah, but listen, I had a plan B because I was like, I was pretty scared. I'm like, am I screwing myself to get into college? But the thing was, number one, I had applied to a lot, so I diversified my risk. Number two, I always have a plan B, so I already expected to get rejected. And when, not if, but when I got rejected, I was already going to send them my appeal. So my appeal was ready. Since I had sent my application in, I had been like in the newspaper one time or something and I was going to be like, look at all this stuff, I'm so cool. Luckily, it didn't come to that. And nobody, not one college asked me for the application fee. Wow. So the point is, stop using all these crutches. Well, and you know, the thing about crutches is, is that notice what my daughter said. The, the headshot one was easy for me to handle. And of course, after I took the headshot, she said, I don't like it. And I said, it doesn't matter. Load it up. Now it's done. Later on, if you want, get a real one. But now they know what you look like. You have black hair and brown eyes and you're five foot one or whatever. Now they know. So that they don't, they're not going to pick you or select you on the basis of a headshot. But the other thing she said was really important. She said, I need acting lessons first. And I always tell her, but it never quite, it, it's a hard thing for to sink in. There's always a good reason and a real reason. And the brain convinces itself over years that the good reason is really, really good. It's the correct reason. So yeah, maybe she does need acting lessons, but it's not the real reason. The real reason is she just is afraid and yeah. that was an excuse. But the good reason is very convincing to people. That's why they almost need a peer, like how you and I have been discussing. You almost need a peer to run things by. I was treating her like a peer rather yes. than like telling her to do something, except for the grandmother thing. Yeah. But someone has to say, that's just an excuse. Yeah, like get, just call you on your stuff. And I love that real and good reason. You know, we both are skeptical of home ownership as an investment and the typical uh, good reason people buy is oh, it's a good investment. Well, the real reason is you want people to be impressed and you don't want to miss out and blah, blah, blah. There's a million reasons. But to be honest with ourselves about those real reasons, oh, a lot of people, uh, I want to lose weight because I want to be healthy. Mm. You want to lose weight so that you can go out to a bar and people look at you. Or there's a variety of other reasons. And oftentimes they're really shallow. 
Oh yeah. But totally. to be able to admit that takes a serious level of self-candor. And when you can get to that level where you're just like, uh, I'm actually in a few ways of life. Yeah. I'm unapologetically vain. Let me at least acknowledge it. Let me do a couple things that are going to fulfill that part. And then I can also work on the philanthropic part, the this part, the that part. Um, that's a hard lesson to learn, but I'm. it's awesome that you are teaching your daughter that already. Well, I think in general, you know, so, 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 uh, you know, as you know, and as we've talked about, and as you've seen me kind of post on Facebook, I've been trying stand-up comedy the past six months. I've yeah. been going up like two, three, four times a week. And, um, and it's, and it's okay. Cause I, I, I switched my schedule around a little bit. It doesn't affect kind of the work I do during the day. I go on at night. Um, I try to sleep a little bit later, but I, I've been a fan for 20 years or 25 years of stand-up comedy, like a huge fan. And I write, I, I noticed I was writing a lot about it. Like I have a post, the Tao of Louis CK, or I'll write about a lesson I learned from Jerry Seinfeld, but I realized I wasn't doing it. And, uh, so some club owner after a podcast, uh, in his studios said, Hey, why don't you come up, you know, Tuesday for five minutes? And like, I instantly like, Oh, I, uh, I can't, I gotta, it's too late for me. I gotta watch my kids. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. But then I, I just said, okay, because once I, it wasn't like a lion was in the jungle. So my fear is somewhere there's some, something in my fear was irrational. So I just say yes. And then I had to prepare and do something. And now that I've been doing it, again, doing it is the key. I see the thousand nuances that I never saw before, despite being an enormous, I mean, I worked at HBO with the comedy department. I've been in the business. Give us an example. What's a nuance you see? Okay. There's, there's, there's so many nuances, but I'll give you a really important one. Um, and to some, this might be obvious. So this is like a big nuance, but humor is not as important, particularly if you're doing, if you're starting out, you're not doing hour long shows. And if you're, two things are happening when you're starting out, you're not doing hour long shows and the audience doesn't know you. Like maybe the first time you have your friends come out, but they don't come out the second time or the third time. So after a while, the audience doesn't know you. So those two things are important to know. Louis C.K. doesn't deal with that. He does hour-long shows and everyone in the audience knows him. So fans of comedy only see the Louis C.K.'s and the Chris Rocks and the Jerry Seinfelds who the audience loves them and they're doing hour-long shows. Super subtle. So, so what I realized in doing, let's say, a five-minute show where the audience doesn't know me is that nobody, not only does no, nobody knows whether or not I'm funny, but even more importantly, Nobody know, knows whether or not I'm creepy. <laughs> so is that just is that just you, or is this every comedian? Every every comedian, okay. because jokes. In order to tell a joke, a little bit has to be a tiny bit creepy, and I'm not even <laughs> talking about sexual. You have to say something that's going to make someone tense, and then you release the tension, okay. and that's the punchline, and then they all laugh. Oh, he wasn't really serious about that. It's it's funny. I can laugh now, and so. But my jokes were really crude, actually. I was just, I felt they were funny. My friends were laughing um, whenever they were in the audience. But when I was in the audience that didn't know me, I was getting dead silence. And I had to watch the videos, another nuance. I have to videotape everything and watch them over and over again afterwards. But I realized more important than humor is likability. And you have to invest the time in the beginning to helping people understand who you are as a person and getting them 
to not get, not forcing them, not manipulating them, but getting them to like you. So then you buy capital from them that you could spend on a joke that's a little bit uh, maybe out of their comfort zone. So this is surprising to me on a lot of levels and really appreciate you walking us through this because first of all, you're, you're pointing out that most of us only look at the superstars and they're dealing with an entirely different situation like Louis C.K. at Madison Square Garden versus a beginning comic who nobody knows. Right. And they're a, a non-known, com- unknown comic. Which seems obvious when you say that, but when you, but, but, but you don't realize you can't, like if someone who's beginning just goes up and does the same exact jokes yeah. Louis C.K. does, even if, and, and let's say performs them in the exact same way. Let's say the guy's more talented in some way and so is able to perform them in a funny way. Louis C.K. same jokes. And let's also assume the audience does, hasn't heard those jokes mm. before. Uh, no one's going to laugh ah. because they don't like the guy yet. Can I tell you uh, just a quick story that happened in my, I'm not comparing myself to Louis C.K., but this guy once ripped off one of my emails and in this email, it was a pretty aggressive email where I told people, I, I basically said, look, you've been reading this for like X years. Um, if you haven't done, if you haven't like paid off your debt, if you haven't done this, if you, like for your own sake and for mine, like you should consider unsubscribing. I actually think it's respectful for you. Go find somebody else who's a better source. And I was respectful, but it was pretty, uh, pretty pointed. This guy ripped off that email, sent it to his list and like 25% of his list unsubscribed because they were like, what the hell? You are such an idiot. And he he came across really mean and aggressive. My list, right? You've because you've acquired exactly. likability over time exactly. from your audience. You wrote a book. You've put in the years. Yes, it takes for for different things. It takes years to get that trust with the audience. Like with Louis C.K. to do what he does now to fill up five Madison Square nights in a row, that's a business lesson. That's not a comedy lesson. You know, there's a lot of great comedians who maybe are even better than Louis C.K. who cannot fill up Madison Square Garden or even one-tenth of Madison Square Garden because they haven't put in the time to figure out how to be likable. Another thing, another nuance is there's a difference between a funny joke. First off, there's two nuances. There's a difference between a funny story and a funny joke. Funny stories do not work in stand-up comedy at all. Zero. You could have the funniest story in the world that your friends love. It will never, ever work in stand-up comedy. So there's a difference between a funny story and a funny stand-up comic bit. But also there's a difference between flat, pandering type of jokes that you know will get a laugh, but they're just, I don't know how to describe them. They're just flat as opposed to a structured joke. So I'll give, I won't give a specific example, but I'll compare like, Aziz Ansari right, is a great actor and stand-up comic. I mean, he started off with stand-up comedy, but now he's been in Parks and Rec, and I really love Masters of None. After our last part one, I watched season two yeah. of Master of Awesome, Masters right? Brilliant. Yeah. Particularly the episode where he emulates the movie Slacker. I don't know where they're going from character to character. He's just so brilliant. And he, But he is extremely likable. He might not be... Uh, he might even admit this. I don't want to criticize him. He's a very funny guy. He might not be as funny as some of the other comics, but he's extremely likable. He works on that really hard. If you watch his hour-long specials, he works on it really hard in the beginning, the likability. And now I see also he's very, he's almost like a technician of humor. His jokes are extremely technical. There's a I can tell you the structure of his jokes. There's a general premise like, oh, it's weird to be Indian with a Southern accent. And then there's a specific example. He'll tell a tiny one-line story, but then he'll start acting out. Then the waitress said this to me and he'll do the waitress's voice. Then I said this 
and he'll do an act out and then he'll make it more and more exaggerated. So that's a very structured joke. He does it on every single joke. People don't notice that. Mm. And he's puts together an hour long special that so, way. So let's zoom out of this. Cause this is, how can we apply this to our own lives? Maybe we're not going to do stand up comedy, but everything you just said has a lot of applicability. First of all, you had started one thing. You were doing your podcast and then a club owner reached out to you. That means when you create one opportunity for yourself, oftentimes that opportunity will create more opportunities. So basically get off your ass and go do something. That's number one. Right. Number two- And, and not being a- Okay, go, go ahead. Number two might be what I was going to say. Number two, uh, this is something I really admire about you because it's a skill. I don't, I don't have as much as you do. When you got an invitation to do something, your default was, yes, I'm afraid, but I'm going to say yes anyway. That's awesome. So you said yes. Then as you're talking about Louis C.K. and Aziz, I can hear the love of craft in your voice. And I think every one of us has something we love that much. Maybe it's the way you dress yourself. Maybe it's uh, interior decoration, whatever. And you study it. And like the stuff you're going into just now, and I know we've only scratched the surface, but it's like pretty intense and technical. If you take that and you say, hey, what can I do with this? Maybe it's a hobby. I'm going to go deeper. Maybe I'm going to hire a teacher or instructor or tutor. Maybe I'm going to start a business. Whatever the case. Like when you find something you truly love, don't just let it stay at the like level. Go deeper. Go love. Go right. on stage. Get a teacher. Get a tutor. Turn it into a business. Write a column on it. As my parents used to say, just write it up. What's the worst that could happen? Right. That is when you go from like to love. And, and you know, people say to me, oh, you must be having so much fun doing the stand-up comedy stuff. And I'm like, no, no. It's ah. like the opposite of fun. It is it is brutal. Yeah. Just like building a business, just like investing, just like writing, just like art, doing art. Uh, uh, but there is a love of improving at something, building a new set of friends and cohorts, and finding freedom in another way, diversifying my sources of freedom, you know, by having more interests and more things that I love. So, so if you apply it to investing, I had to do the same thing when I be, started becoming um, a a better personal investor because I was horrible at first, as many people know. Uh, then I was a professional investor. There's at least as many, or obviously more, nuances in being a professional investor and actually pulling hard-earned money out of the market into your pocket. There's a billion nuances. People write to me all the time like, what's the best way for me to trade currencies? And I'm like, uh, are you wiretapping Janet Yellen's phone and Vladimir Putin's <laughs> phone? Because otherwise you just just not do it. Like, and they're like, no, no, no. I know somebody so-and-so gets makes 20% a year. I can do it just using <laughs> charts. I'm like, all right, but do not ever write me an email again. <laughs> like, well, write me after you either go broke or make millions. You know who I feel so sorry for in my life? By the way, feeling sorry is great. It's great emotion. I feel so sorry, not for day traders, although they are generally pathetic. I feel so sorry for the day traders who one day they come home, they tell their wife, because they're almost all guys, honey, I'm going to become a day trader. Uh, what's that? Uh, don't worry. It involves a uh, technical analysis and, uh, you know, don't worry about the details. They, they buy like five monitors. They curtain off their living room. They spend the next three years waking up, watching CNBC doing his BS technical analysis. And, uh, three and a half years later, they walk out with their head looking at the floor and they admit to their spouse, uh, honey, I lost 
all of our college savings. I lost all of our 401k. Oh my God. I wish you could have told me this uh, <laughs> 20 years ago. Does this ring true? Yeah, because I was a day trader. And by the way, it, I did, after losing millions doing it, I did finally kind of realize the nuances and I was able to do it professionally for, for a long period of time. But I shouldn't have <laughs> because A, I did lose millions at first. Like that was a that was a heavy educational mm. expense because I was a stupid idiot. But B, with that kind of energy and and willing to I mean, I wrote software modeling the markets. I read hundreds of books. I I I did the exact same thing. I had mentors, I had peers, I had people I was teaching. Um and so I worked and I did it. I was doing it every day. I was doing every strategy. So I learned it with maybe a thousand nuances and what I call micro skills, but it was hard. And I really wish I had done something. If I have one regret and I don't really walk around with regrets, but I really feel I could have done a lot better with skills I had already developed instead of developing a skill I didn't really enjoy that much. Mm, super interesting. But that's a subtle difference, right? Because you mentioned with comedy, you're like, it's not fun, but you love the craft. And I think about uh, learning how to work out, and I pretty much hated it for the first three years, working with a tri- I really hated it. And it was yeah, like- Working a, out's hard. It's, yeah, it's hard. It's By a dread, you're sweaty. Yeah, exactly. And then it was only like three and a half to four years into it where I actually started to see the joy of the craft, of seeing the numbers go up, of being able to change your body, that kind of thing. So I think um, for a lot of people- that early stage where it's really hard, where you're going on stage as a as a stand-up comic, or you're or starting a to work speaker, out, public speaker, whatever, anything, right? Learning copy, whatever, whatever you're doing, there's got to be a reason driving you in the early days. So, like, it could be as shallow as vanity. Like, I want to look better, and I'm willing to sweat and not feel good to look like that. Or, uh, I, you know, I want to make money. That's okay too. It's fine if that's your reason. Whatever the reason is. Those reasons will actually change over time. And in my experience, um, like when I started writing copy, I was not very good. I bought like every book. I studied many, many professional copywriters. I did all those things. And I started testing it against the market. And it took me, I would say, a good mm, three to four years where I started feeling comfortable. Where I was like, okay, that that's good. And by the way, copywriting is also one of those skills where a lot of people think they can do it but there's probably a hundred yeah. nuances that separate out the, I mean, I know top copywriters who have, who, what copywriting is, is basically you write a letter and at the end there's a call to action and someone takes that action, whether it's buying or signing up for something or participating in a webinar or whatever. I know people who have written copy that have sold a billion dollars worth of product and, and they've, I've walked, they've tried to walk me through all the nuances. There's hundreds or even thousands of nuances I don't think I'm a good copywriter. I'm a good writer. It's like public speaking and comedy. 100% different skills. Well, that's that's interesting you say that because at the more, the higher up you go in any craft, the more distinctions you start to see, right? To to an outsider, you're just like, oh, that's that guy's a comic. But you just pointed out that there's a difference between a funny story and a funny joke. And in copywriting, it's not just writing. There's copywriting, there's direct response copywriting, there's cold traffic copywriting. There's a whole bunch of sub-niches. Again, not really important to understand these at the beginning. If you want to, you can. Um, a lot of them are pretty opaque. Uh, there's some copywriters whose names you don't know. and, and you Most would, of them probably. Yeah, you would not be able to find out unless you were deep, deep in the industry and you had somebody who introduced you to some guy who knows some guy. 
But like, that's sort of irrelevant. You start at the bottom, you build your chops. And, and, and I think the key thing that, that I just want to communicate to everybody is it should be hard. It should be hard at the beginning. Uh, it's not going to be easy to do anything worthwhile. It's going to be tough. Maybe you're going to sweat. Maybe you're going to be embarrassed. Or you're going to hate it. But looking back, I now love the craft. And I love the craft from a right, starting a business, the fitness thing, all this stuff. Um, there are a lot of things I've tried where I just gave up. Like, I just didn't like it. Okay, how do you know? Here's a question people ask, which is how do you know you're doing something you love to do? That's Because to learn all these nuances takes a long time. Yeah. And, and like we both agreed, it's not fun. Yeah. It's, so 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 you're not going to say, okay, well, I'm, I think I don't know if I love this or not, but I'm going to put three years of yeah. my life into doing something I hate. I think, I think honestly, at some level, you kind of know. So I'll give you a couple examples of things I tried and I didn't like. <clears throat> I went to shoot guns and I went to a shooting range. And I Where'd you go? Uh, this was in California. Okay. And I hadn't really shot a gun before. So I'm like kind of excited. Of course, you know, I think I'm going to be awesome. And I did it. I got trained and I shot it and it was fine. But afterwards I walked out to the car and I thought to myself like, okay, that was cool, but I really have no need or desire to come back. There was no calling. Right. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I took a, a class here uh, near the Intrepid uh, on stand-up paddleboarding. And, you know, it's one of those things you stand up on a paddleboard and you paddle and it's cool. I did it. I loved our teacher. I loved how he taught. I, I fell into the Hudson once. Uh, I have a lot to learn. But afterwards, you did know- Did you have mutant powers afterwards? I think I'm turning green <laughs> as we speak. Uh, I said, to, you know, what? I, I felt, I kind of just- said, this is cool if I ever go to somebody's lake or something, like uh, I could do this, I could be good enough, but I don't really want to become really good at this. And that was that. When I started writing, I there was something inside of me where I was like, you know, I'd been writing stuff for a while and I just was like, I started this and I'm like, I suck at this, but I love, love, love the best copywriters out there. Like I read their books and I found myself drawn to it. Just like I'm sure you you said, you've been watching stand-up comedy and studying it for years. So there was something inside of you calling. And, and by the way, whenever you say this and like, like whenever you've been talking about the things you love as opposed to things you don't, your hand goes to your chest. I think you can actually tell when you do something if, if at some point during the process, you feel it in your body somewhere and you could feel it kind of two places. One is in the chest because your heart, you love this thing. And the other, which I just distinctly remember for years in my pursuit of day trading, which I didn't love, but still did, is I, my gut would yeah. just be in pain all the time. I hated it. It was miserable, but I felt like I needed to do it to make money. And just the per single pursuit of money, I feel this horrible feeling in my gut. And I and and now we we were talking earlier before the podcast started how you're really busy this week. You've got a lot of things going on. I said I was really busy, and I listed like a bunch of things. And I said to my so I went to my therapist, my psychologist, and I said to her, I feel a bit overwhelmed, like I've bit off more than I can chew, perhaps. And she said to me right away, the one thing you can't stop is the thing that's actually providing the least value in my life, which is the stand-up comedy. Because that's the one thing where, like you say, I talk about it with love in my voice. So you kind of have to make sure you diversify the things you're doing with some things that you sincerely 
love because that's totally. how you keep a sense of well-being going. You, you, you get what, not happiness, but you get well-being from improving in something you love, uh, having friends, and uh, uh, finding freedom in different ways. And if you could diversify the things you're doing, then you're going to have that freedom. Uh, just one more thing I want to add. Paddleboarding, rifle, copywriting, all these things. You, you could have read many books about paddleboarding and said, oh, that sounds like something I like. You have to still do something before you really know if you like it or not. Oh, I mean, I was sitting in, before we went out on the water, the instructor uh, basically taught us the, the mechanism and he taught us the physics of it and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I got it. Like, I'm cool. I know how to, I know how to move my body. And then he's like, when you go out there, you're going to feel a little shaky. And I was like, yeah, not me. My balance is good. First thing I get out there, I'm like, oh my God. So there was a huge, huge gap between learning and doing. Yeah, because there was nuances. Subtle, super subtle that I could have never. And then, you know, I did it kneeling and I was like, okay, I feel good. Then I did it standing. And that's when I fell in. So just listening, I could have read a million books on it, but to actually do it myself, total game changer. You could have watched YouTube videos. You could have done yeah. tons of things. James, let's talk about what happens when you get really busy. because. You just mentioned we were we are both really busy this week, and you know as I was coming here, I'm having an unusual week because usually my schedule is exactly the same. Every Monday is exactly the same. Uh, every Tuesday is exactly the same as the next Tuesday. And in fact, I wrote this huge article. If anyone's curious um, about how my productivity system works, you can just Google productivity advice for the weird. And I think that weird people or people who are really productive, they have a lot of idiosyncrasies um, that it's sort of politically incorrect to talk about. So I, I wrote about those things in the piece, um, but things change when the week, when you have a critical week where everything's really busy. So I wonder if we could talk about what happens when we have an insane week. I know I have certain things that I basically eliminate that I don't do. And I have certain things that I protect. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially for small businesses that don't have a human resources person on staff. I like to deal with the product, with the customer, with all the business issues, but all of those details are just too difficult for me by myself or any small business manager to handle. Thankfully, Gusto has your back. Gusto offers the best clear and automated payroll for the modern small business. From unlimited and off-cycle payrolls to direct deposit, multiple states, and pay rates, Gusto can help you with any and all of your payroll needs. You can even integrate Gusto with your accounting software such as QuickBooks or Xero to make payroll that much easier. Not to mention, Gusto automatically files and pays your payroll taxes, compiles and sends your W-2s and 1099s, and submits new hire forms so you can truly set it and forget it. It's a streamlined platform that lets you take care of your team with payroll, benefits, and HR all in one place. One login, one password to remember. Better yet, with Gusto's simple, reliable technology and great customer service, you'll spend less time in paperwork and more time on what you care about. It's no wonder PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. 
Sign up today, you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash James. Oh my God, I so get it. Life insurance is the most confusing thing for me to figure out ever. Figuring it out takes so much of my time and I hate wasting time during my life about things that are gonna happen after I die. And then if you ever do get a payout, you won't even be around to spend it. So that's part of the reason why life insurance is frustrating. But I have to tell you about one company that is making it a lot easier, which is why I am super happy they are my brand new sponsor. PolicyGenius.com is the place to go to learn about life insurance. Compare quotes from America's top providers and save up to 40% on your policy. Their site is simple and user-friendly, and it really helps you work out exactly which policy is right for you at the best price. My favorite part, no sales agents. Thank the Lord. If you've been putting off life insurance or want to make sure the insurance you have is right for you, check out policygenius.com today. You can save up to 40% just by comparing policies. The quotes are free, there's no sales pressure, and zero hassle. PolicyGenius.com, it's life insurance for the 21st century. Just to set the setting of this, I think like you live a very, an, uh, I don't wanna say abnormal life, but you're, you're running a business, you're not, um, you don't have a very scheduled life. Many people do have a very scheduled life, like be at work at nine, leave work at five, pick up the kids, make dinner, put them to sleep, watch TV, wake up the next day. Lie to your 18-year-old daughter. <laughs> Lie to your 18-year-old daughter <laughs> repeatedly. Uh, uh, so so there are going, to, when you live, when you have uh, your own business or you're doing things where you've chosen to do them instead of other people choosing you, income and lifestyle are, is going to be more volatile. Yes. You're not going to have stability. Um, and you have to kind of embrace that volatility. Some weeks you probably do nothing and you maybe even get anxious. Like, oh, I wish I was a little, why am I not busier? But then other weeks you're so busy. It's like, oh my God, I don't know if my brain can handle this. So so I think that's the first thing to note is that having the type of lifestyle where you can pursue your dreams is a little more volatile and you have to embrace that volatility. Yeah, I'm really glad you you talk about that cuz there's sort of like, you know, puppies and unicorns, everyone's like freedom, but there's a lot of trade-offs. And, you know, while other people might finish work at 5 p.m. and it's shut off until the next day, if you're an entrepreneur, you're you could be thinking about it 24/7. Yeah, and, and you have to like there's all these like uh efficiency experts that give you like, oh, well, don't respond to emails on the weekend oh or, or- Or wake up in the morning, meditate for 25 minutes, green tea, but only from this region of Japan. Like, dude, I wake up, I roll over, I get my phone out. I don't even put my glasses on. I hold it like one inch away from my face. I start looking at Instagram. I like do everything wrong. But because I set up a productivity system for the bulk of the day, it's fine. I can afford to take some time in the morning and do it my way. So can you. It doesn't matter if you go to work at this time or that. So just be wary of a lot of the productivity experts out there. I just say that. Yeah, and and I think on those weeks when you're really busy, well, tell me me what's happening. How are you dealing with it? Okay, so- this is a this is probably like once once every six months do I get this busy? So I noticed that certain things just fall off the map for me. So right now, 
I have a bunch of dishes in my sink and it's just like piled up. That's actually really unusual for me. Usually I keep things moving. I remember this great scene in West Wing, one of my favorite shows where the new chief of staff comes in and the old chief of staff, John Spencer, he says, you got to keep the paper moving. And I just think, I think that's an awesome lesson for life. You got to keep the paper moving. If somebody else needs something from you uh, and it's due by Friday, get it to them early, get it to them by Tuesday so they can do their thing and keep the paper moving. In other words, keep your dishes moving, keep your paper moving, keep it all moving so that you can, and then everything runs smoothly. So right now it's not running smoothly. My dishes are sitting there uh, and my apartment's kind of messy, which it's normally not. And I've just gotten comfortable saying like, this week, it's going to be horrible. In terms of cleanliness, fine. Okay, uh, But the things that I do protect would be working out uh, and eating. So I actually learned this from my own mistake. When I used to do launches, um, the first time I ever did a big launch, I was bedridden for one week afterwards. This is because I basically stayed up till like three, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning every night for six weeks, did this massive launch, bedridden for one week. And it actually took me about six months to get back to full. Mm. Like, I guess that's, that's what scary. you call burnout. Yeah. And six months, that's a long time. It was just like a bone tiredness inside. So we did many, many more launches. And I was like, I can't have this happen. I can't be out of commission for six months every year. So, and many people listening, you may know what I'm talking about if you've ever come back from a vacation and you're like, you know, you say that old, I need a vacation from the vacation. You're just like bone tired. Um, so I learned that I should control my caffeine intake. I should be more thoughtful. I should not- Why, well, should you drink less while um, you're busy? Don't, don't drink, it's okay. Like Don't, I, don't up it? Uh, up it if you want, but just like for me, it was after about the afternoon, stop drinking caffeine because otherwise it's going to bleed into the next day and then it's, a, yeah. you know, can't, can't keep up. Um, don't skip my workouts. That was a big lesson. It took me about three or four years to learn. And eating, super, super tempting- to eat junk food when you're busy and tired and you're up late. And I just had to be really disciplined. I would give myself a little bit of leeway. That's totally fine. Um, actually creating these systems allow, allows me to be more flexible, not super rigid. Um, so if I break, if I quote break a rule, which I don't even consider a rule, it's fine because I know next day I'm going to be back. It's no big deal. I, I don't worry or stress about this. But I think with a really busy week, I'm like, okay, it's totally fine if these things go by the wayside when normally I would be much more disciplined about them. And on the other hand, the things that I'm not going to let go by the wayside, like I have copy due by today and tomorrow. That needs to get in because other people are depending on it. So why'd you agree to do this podcast? Because, no, because we already scheduled it. And once it's on the calendar, I honor the calendar. All right. That's it. So that's how I think about a really, really busy week. And I think you know, we got to be a little adaptable. If something crazy comes up, if somebody invited you to go receive a major award tomorrow or something you cared about, you'd find a way to do it. So if you can, if you can kind of build a schedule where most of the time you're following the schedule, then it actually leaves you a little bit more adaptable to a crazy busy week like this or an actual easy week where you are like, oh, I have some time, I'm good. I, I think that's true. I think, I mean, I always try to schedule things so that I, in worst case, I have a big thing in the morning and a big thing in the afternoon, like mm -hmm. a meeting or something I have to do or whatever. Some weeks are less, some weeks are more. This week, what'd you do differently? Because it's a crazy week for you too. The only thing I do differently is, is 
I don't really know. I don't. Re- I just do everything I have to do. Okay. So you're. So see, I think this is another example where we kind of live our lives just a little bit differently. Like, I'm. I'm a little bit more structured in terms of my time, and that works for me. So I can like move the pieces around like a chessboard. And I think you're like, hey, I have a general rule: one big thing in the morning, one in the afternoon. Aside from that, I'm going to take it as it comes up. Yeah, I think I think what I'll do is I'll set the bar a little higher on every like like you're saying like leaving the dishes in the kitchen, but often I'll outsource that or mm-hmm. or delegate that. Like I won't go out to eat; I'll order in while I'm working. Uh, what do you like to eat? Uh, sushi usually. Okay. So uh, I think there's enough uh, energy and protein to to keep you going on a busy week for that mm-hmm. with sushi. All right. Uh, and then, you know, kids, I have, I have two kids, so that's really important to me. So I'm not able to spend as much time as I would like with them, but I do try to spend quality time with them, which is really important. And I try to do the things I love. I will never say no to the things I love doing. So here's a question I have for you. You, you do a podcast, you do stand up. you have kids, you write, you run a business. Uh, I run, I run multiple businesses, really. Okay. When you hear somebody who reads your stuff saying, I don't have time. Tell me, what do you think? Uh, you know, sometimes I hear it from from people who I work with, or in in you know, in much closer ways, and I almost get a little angry until I realize, oh, this is also a skill set I've built up mm. is to not get as overwhelmed so easily. Like my bar is a little higher mm-hmm. to, before I get overwhelmed. Um, I like that. That's but, that's a compassionate perspective. You're right. It is a skill set. And and the other thing is, I try to. It, it's hard thing to talk to them about it, but I try to kind of walk them through how they can get more. Just hold their breath and get more things done. Mm. <laughs> Holding their breath is a, is a wrong word because that sounds bad. But that's what it's like a little bit. Like you can't you can't be overwhelmed for your entire life. But sometimes you need to get things done and just focus on them. Like I don't do stupid things. Like. I won't, I never hit home on Facebook. I never look at my Facebook feed. Mm. I don't look at my Twitter feed. I don't really look at the Instagram feed. I use these things as social media, um, but I don't really do anything that is, although one thing I will do is with my daughters, I'll watch TV, good shows. Mm. So I love watching TV with my kids. I think that everybody who wants to uh, be more productive or have more money or whatever, if you can talk to somebody like you, someone who has accomplished it, and just ask them, walk me through your day. How do you do it? You will discover lots of subtle things that a highly productive person does that you may have never thought of. So you just said something super interesting. I never click home on Facebook. That's really insightful. Uh, I wrote this article called The Secret Sense of Success. Sense like you smell. And if you talk to people who are, I call it that because if you go into a luxury store here in New York or anywhere, you kind of just can tell that it's a high-end luxury store. You don't even need to see the prices. You just know. Why? It smells a little better. They show a little bit less merchandise in the store than, say, a TJ Maxx. You just kind of know. And if you're around a super productive person, they have these secret habits of a successful person that they do. Um, so one of the examples of uh, people who uh, are within their target weight is they just oftentimes will make a rule for themselves. Uh, I don't eat the bread that's put in front of me. Or if they're like a little bit more advanced, a lot of times before they go out to eat, they'll actually look at the menu online and decide what they're going to get before. Now this sounds like crazy to people. Oh, James, you don't click home. What, 
what, what are you talking about? doesn't mean you have to do it. I just think it's an awesome exercise. If you want to get more productive, go find somebody who's more productive and just ask them, hey, would you mind walking me through your day for 10 minutes? Well, you know, it's funny because there's, there's two things um, to unpack in there. One is there's another nuance, which is I try to, with everything I do, uh, I try to connect the dots between them. Mm. So for instance, we're doing this podcast. This podcast is related to my business. It might also be related to if I'm thinking of ideas you're saying for another investment I'm involved in, or it's given me already two ideas for articles I could write. So that's related to my writing. Uh, you, you try to, I try to always connect the dots. So let's say I'm doing a podcast with somebody who was in uh, the Navy SEALs, and now I have an investment where they're sitting down with a SEAL commander to sell some product. I'll introduce the two and things will happen. So there's lots of opportunities like that where I'm always looking to see how to connect the dots. Even though I'm not really a good networker, I'm kind of introverted for that, but uh, uh, I, I'm always trying to connect the dots. That's, that's really important so that your productivity, it's not all separate things. They're all, it's all like one unit looking at it, slicing it in different ways. Um, and then the other thing I, I forget. <laughs> I, I love that you talk about that so much because connecting the dots is kind of a hard concept to teach, but I love that you just show us how you do it. You let us inside the mind of James. And I think over time, we can't help but learn and be like, oh, so he did those two things. Oh, I see how I might be able to apply that in my own life. Well, like like last night, for instance, I did a stand-up performance relatively late at night for me, but I invited a, a friend of mine who's running a company that I'm invest I'm invested in three of his companies and uh I invited him I invited his friends I comped them into the place uh everybody had a fun time they saw a great lineup of comics and then me and <laughs> uh uh you know you just you just always want to connect the dots and then the owner of the club this is a few weeks ago. The, the owner of the club needed to shoot a video for another client he had because he has an ad agency business on the side. So I introduced my friend, the same guy, the same person I'm invested in. He has a nice apartment. The, they, the owner of the club shot a video in that guy's apartment. And so all these little dots always are constantly getting connected. And I think that's important. You can't always connect the dots, but to at least think about it and go through the exercise helps a lot. And by the way, builds your, your, not your brand, but your ability, your platform to make money if you need it. So that's always incredibly helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I and that's hus that's real hustling, by the way, as opposed to like, we, we talked about this earlier, kind of like there's this sort of new definition of hustle. And I, and I'm, I like Gary Vaynerchuk. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. He uses the word hustle a lot. And I think he knows, I'm sure he knows what it means because he's built up a big business. But I think the millennials take it a notch down. I don't want to put millennials down. I think a lot of people take it a notch down and say, oh yeah, I've just got to run around and meet people and and go to conferences and be motivational in front of the mirror. And uh, that's not what it is at all. Mm. Hustle is uh, getting to that limit, but then connecting all the dots and and figuring out the nuances and really doing something as opposed to just, you know, contenting something. <laughs> I, you know, when I moved to New York um, many years ago, I didn't know too many people here. And I got to admit, you know, this is a city you do not want to be lonely in, right? It's like I knew a few people, but I remember many 
uh, Friday nights, especially in my first year where I actually wanted to go out, but I didn't really know that many people. It's like, oh man, this kind of sucks. Nowadays, I know a lot more people. I'm more than happy to stay in on a Friday night, but yeah. that's by choice. Yeah, You don't want to just be sitting like a loner looking out at your on a window. Friday night. <laughs> yeah, but, but at least you know you could if you wanted to. Right. So anyway, uh, so I was like, all right, man, th- you can't just sit around doing nothing. So you know, I'm a weirdo. I created an Excel sheet. I literally made a list of every single person I knew or who they knew. And I just started going out for coffee with people. And That's I was, what you did with me. Yeah. And I was like, hey, who else should I talk to? And just, I took every meeting. I, I had no pride. I just, I was ultra humble. I met everybody, anybody, anywhere I went to them. And, you know, looking back, there are people now, I, I just, we don't really have that much in common and I, we didn't stay in touch, but I made a lot of good friends and after a while, you know, I had to keep doing it. But but why do people say yes to meeting you? Um, I, I there's lots of different reasons. There's nuances there. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I think the the I'll tell you two reasons. One of them is uncomfortable. One of them is just kind of obvious. One of them, uh, the obvious one is like people like to be liked. And when I would reach out to people, I would actually do a lot of research, and I would say I really liked X about what you do. Uh, I'd love to meet you for coffee. Fifteen minutes, I can come to where you are. So, it was, you know, I was very much... What you did with me. That's yeah. like exactly the letter you said to me like seven years ago. Yeah, I'm like, and, and it was legit, right? So I really did admire what you were doing and I meet people wherever they are. <clears throat> the power dynamic is something that people don't talk about or appreciate. Uh, if I'm meeting somebody where I want something or honestly, they're more experienced than me, like you better suck it up and go to them. That's what I did. And, and vice versa too. So also, I want to add, you had a book, which was a New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You To Be well, that's Rich. That's the second part. That's yeah. the uncomfortable part, okay. which is if you want to meet, you can meet a lot of people by, by virtue of number one, because a lot of people just want to be asked out to coffee. Maybe they want a free coffee. Who cares? Like they'll go. But a lot of busy people won't yes. want that. And the uncomfortable truth, which very few people talk about is you need to be pretty good already for those people to want to meet you. So the best thing you can do to move, if you want to talk about um, meeting more experienced people, more successful people, the best thing you can do is basically become more successful yourself. And then I, I, there's an interesting, I almost feel like we're overusing the nuance word, but there's an interesting nuance there, which is that um, if somebody's hard to meet, that's not their fault. It's you have to up your game uh, to to meet them. It's kind of like and, dating, and so yeah, it, it, things should all things should be easy. So if it's hard for you to get a job at I don't know the, your dream place, then it's not like you have to spend a much harder time arguing with them or insisting with them. No, I'm perfect for you. You have to go off and do something and up who you are. You, whether it's your resume in some way or things that you've done or skills that you have and then go back and until they're begging for you to to meet with them or work with them or whatever. It should always be easy. Like, and I see this a lot with companies trying to raise money. Like, oh, it's so hard to raise money. It's a, hard, it's a really hard money raising environment. That's almost never true. It's almost never hard to raise money if you're good. Yep. If you've got a good product, if you put in the work and the time, if you had businesses beforehand. Now, how do you get started if you've got nothing, if you're starting from scratch? If you're in the cubicle listening to this, well, 
Start blogging about the things you love. Start building an email list because do a call to action and make a free special report or start doing a lot of these things that we're talking about so that you start having experiences. So you can say in your email, I've done this, 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 and this. Or what I used to do is I would come up with ideas for someone's business and say, you don't have to meet me for coffee, but here's just free ideas that would make me a better customer of your business. And, or things like that. Like you, you, you know, the less you have, the more you have to deliver value upfront without expectation, or the more you have to go back to the drawing board and keep on working on yourself. And that's part of the nuance of, of meeting people. Love it. Absolutely love it. You and I agree. This is one of our core values that we both share, which is the world doesn't owe you anything. You need to get better. And when you get so good, then they will come and beat down your door. And this is, I think, what you mean by underdog. We're all underdogs yes. when we're starting up. And yet Richard Branson was an underdog when he was starting up. Warren Buffett was an underdog when he was starting up. You read his story, it's 10 years of brutality mm -hmm. that he had to go through before he, you know, people mocked him, people fired him, you know, he lost money on, on things. But then he gets to a point where, okay, now it starts to be easier and easier. And then literally people were sending him checks to, to manage. So, so, and Bill Gates is the same thing. The guy was like, I don't know, a freshman in Harvard flew to Arizona to get the, the Altair basic, you know, gig. And, uh, he, he had to do that. Like he had to go out of his comfort zone and, and do these things before anyone would turn his calls. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. You'll find that when people talk about how they made it, or it could be starting out, or they could be they're already really successful. <clears throat> there's a large percentage of people who the first thought they will have is, "Well, she had this, or he had this, some advantage." My personal general philosophy is like, I'm not here on this planet to convince those people that they can do it. What I am here to do is, there's, I don't know, five percent of people who are like, "Oh my god." James just talked about how he has to build rapport in his first four minutes to tell that amazing joke. I got to know how he does. I got to go buy every book. I got to go read. I got to go try it. That 5% of people, in my opinion, those are the people who are going to change the world. Those are the people who are going to, whether it's start a business, whether it's raise amazing kids, whether it's working at their job and doing an incredible job. The people who, are, who don't depend on the crutch of, oh, he had this advantage and she had this advantage. They say, hey, we're all born at different places. How did he do it? How did she do it? Well, let me ask you this though. Maybe you just gave people a crutch inadvertently. Someone listening to this could say, oh, well, I'm not one of those 5%. So, so I yeah, do kind of think- You're not. So, <laughs> so what? So you're not. So if that's it, turn off this podcast and what do you want me to say to you? But I think a lot of people are afraid. A lot of people could join that 5% if they weren't afraid yeah. that they're not part of Go it. Go <laughs> get a book from the library. It doesn't cost you a cent. That's it. You, you- are you in the top 1% by buying a book? No, of course not. I'm not going to BS you. But just by virtue of actually going and reading one book and applying one thing from a book, you know what? Let me rewind it. You only have to buy the book. Go to the library. It's free. And you apply one thing from a book, you have already separated yourself from roughly 96% of people. It's, it's really true. Like the, the, if, if you're competing against somebody in any area of life, and they've done nothing, they haven't read anything, and you've read 100 books or 10 books or one book, you're already got a little ahead of them. Then if you had lessons, then if you started doing things, then if you started writing down your analysis, more and more things you separate you out. 
there's a little bit too and much. And those are all easy things to do. Yeah, there's a little bit too much coddling in this country, don't you think? Oh, I'm worried I might not be part of the 5%. What, do you want me to give you a hug? No, do something about it. Read a book. Send an email to James. Tell him one thing you loved about his podcast. Tell him one thing you would change. In fact, do it for him. I had a guy, Charlie, he emailed me once this years ago. He said, Ramit, I noticed you've been doing more video. It would be really good if you did something in your video. Here, I edited your video so that it does. Oh, that's great. Boom, I ended up hiring him. He ended up working for Tim Ferriss and now he runs his own business. Oh, what did yeah, he do he's different? Been on, he's been on this podcast. Yeah, Charlie he's Hone. awesome. So Charlie Hone. So nobody's going to give it to you. Um, you're certainly not going to get a hug from me. Okay, it's that, don't come to me for your emotional support, but you will learn how to be the best. And it starts with, reading a book from the library or sending one email or going to meet one person where they are, not expecting them to reach out to you. Yeah, so so okay, so so now this is now moving the underdog to a point where, oh, maybe I'm not an underdog or maybe I can figure out how to separate myself out from the underdogs. And then there's the next part, which is, and you cover this very well in your book, uh, uh, you know, Your Move, An Underdog's Guide to Building Business or I always forget subtitles, but uh uh, what's, and, and you get into kind of the, the, the weeds with, uh, all the different things they have to do. And we've talked about it, like building the email list, then here's what you do, then here's what you do, then here's what you do. But okay. What's the gap between, all right, I'm following what Ramit just said. I'm going out and reading books. I'm going to do some things. I'm going to try stuff. What's, what's kind of in the middle? What can they do before well, they start a real business? They're still at their job because they shouldn't leave their job. Like what should they do? Okay. I'm going to, I want to talk about we talked last episode about how to find an idea, how to validate it, how to test it. We talked about all that stuff. Oh, good. You remember because I kind yeah. of forgot. <laughs> what, what I will talk about is the psychology part of it. So James, you could give them a million dollar idea right now. Here, I'll give everybody multiple million dollar ideas. Um, personal finance for young people, career development or salary negotiation, starting a business, psychology. I mean, each of those are multiple million dollar businesses, Okay. Obviously, it doesn't mean shit unless you know what to do with it. And most importantly, unless you can manage your own psychology. So the, the common thing that people do is, if I only had the right idea and if I only had time. Well, we already talked about time. Go read my article, Productivity Advice for the Weird. Stop using that as a crutch. Let's. I kind of want to steal that idea for an article. I, I might I title the same the, title. Yeah, I might title the Dude, same. Dude, don't thing. outrank me on Google. <laughs> That'll right, suck. Right. I won't outrank you. Just put part two. <laughs> right. All right. My commentary. Um, so let's talk about the psychology. So I had a, in the book, Underdog, I talk about dorm room Ramit and CEO Ramit. And some people are like at that. dorm room stage, which was, you know, really scrappy. And, you know, I just, uh, I didn't have much expenses. I didn't know what I didn't know. And if you look back, it's like a very naive, um, innocent time. I kind of love it. Then there's CEO Ramit, who runs an organization, and he has you know things like performance management and all this stuff I never thought I'd be doing. Um, the first thing I would say is like try to ask yourself, where are you on that spectrum today? Are you dorm room James? Are you CEO James? What is even the difference? Like for me, when I was dorm room Ramit, uh, I used to think that everything had to be perfect. I needed the perfect headshot, the perfect uh, copy, the perfect everything. And CEO Ramit knows there are a few things that need to be perfect, but there are some things you can let slide, whether it's my dishes or whether it's my headshot. It's really important too in, in relationships 
it's it's the whole saying i can't i have to choose my battles yeah right that's a common phrase but this is tr- that concept is true for every aspect of success i've got to choose the things that are really going to have the most bang for the buck and let the other things go for now because they'll either follow or i'll fix them later or they'll fix themselves or they're not that important everybody nods but try to imagine somebody came up to you and you had a day of meetings or something and they're like you have a stain you have a massive stain on your shirt what would you do would you start freaking out or would you say i gotta i'm gonna cancel the next meeting and go get another shirt or would you say "Uh, can't do anything about it i'm just gonna go to the meeting like that's a legitimate question. I actually don't know what I would do in that situation. I guess it depends on who you're meeting. Yeah, like, right. If I was meeting, I don't know, Warren Buffett, I might buy a new shirt or maybe not. I don't know. What would you do if you're meeting me, James? Uh, I would definitely not change the <laughs> shirt. I probably have a stand on this shirt. So okay. So so then, do you know? Not how that we, you're bad, but just that. Yeah, we're right, casual. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> when I was starting my business out, actually for the first roughly five to six years. Literally every single day, I got an email telling me, your headshot sucks. It's, and it did. It really did suck. I actually thought headshots aren't important. Da, da, da. But could you withstand the pressure of someone telling you that the first thing they see on your site sucks and they literally fired up their email browser and sent you a note saying, dude, you are ugly in your, for five years. Would you be able to take that saying? Oh, I've had to take, put up with that for 40 years. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the, I think for, for all of us, really internalizing the concept that there are certain things as you start to develop, whether it's a business or you become really good at whatever, there are certain things that are just going to be broken in your life. And that's okay. They're going to be broken forever. People would tell, I'm like, I'm never going to fix that. You know, it's, it's true. Like even take, you know, I don't want to call it minimalism, but when I threw out all of my belongings, people said to me, um... Oh, you know, it must be so freeing. You, you, if you don't miss anything, it must be so freeing for you. And, um, do you feel happier? And I did say no. I missed a lot of things. Like it's okay to feel sad. Nice. <laughs> like it's okay to miss things. I love that you Cause, are open about admitting that. Like, because it's I, not politically correct to say that, right? Like, if I had like spent the time myself picking and choosing, oh, I, you know, it's like the Marie Kondo approach, find the things you love and mm. keep those. No, I just threw out everything. I didn't do it. I hired someone to, and I stayed away and they threw out everything and, or, or, you know, donated or sold or kept. Uh, uh, but there were like, I, I don't have photo albums I used to have. I don't have comic books that I love for 40 years that I used to have. Uh, so I miss these things, but it's okay to be sad. Yeah. I don't need, you know, it's what you were saying before about, um, being coddled, like now everyone gets the participation trophy. You know, kids grow up like, oh, he or she showed up every day for baseball. So here's a participation trophy. Um, even though they never got better, they kind of were just fooling around the whole time, but they showed up. Uh, I sort of feel that even goes, we all look down on that with kids, but it happens as adults yes, too. And exactly. I'll, I'll tell you the best example. Let's say we both, I'm looking at both of our laptops. We both have Macintoshes. This is like the easiest computer in the world to use. And yet sometimes I'll drop it or I'll smash it for whatever reason accidentally or, or it stops working and I don't know how to fix it. So I go to the Apple store. I'm the idiot with the easiest computer in the world and it's broken. And 
What do they do? They say, go to the genius bar. Now I'm a genius. Mm. That's like the adult, they have to rename everything so that everything is like this adult participation trophy. Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, and that's, that's with Apple. You go to restaurants, here's our secret room and our secret menu. Like everyone gets to go. So uh, it's the, the, the participation trophy is kind of encoded into adult life now. I think that making the distinction between kids and adults really good uh, you're right. We all are like, oh my God, people coddle kids, but then we coddle ourselves. Yeah. So we allow, um, I'm too busy. I don't have an idea. It's really hard. Oh, James can do it because he's blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the things we write in the book is, yeah, it's hard, but winners grow anyway. Yeah, you have to lean into it. Yeah. Yes, it is going to be hard. Yes, you may sleep a little bit less. Yes, uh, you're going to be horrible at this when you start. And yes, you're going to sweat on stage and people are going to heckle you, whatever the case may be. And what do you want to hug? No, winners grow anyway. They show up, they do it, they're going to get better or the world will extinguish them and they will not be in the market anymore. And, and by the way, I do want to hug for all that, but I'm not always going to get it. That's right. <laughs> like, And then I will feel sad about it or depressed or miserable, but then you have to just... Go up again. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. And you can get your support from different people and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I always think it's, so one of my mentors, Jay Abraham, and uh, I read his book, uh, Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got. This is like the wordiest title. And, Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Got. Yeah, awesome book. And one page in that book generated, like created a multiple million dollar business for us. So I was like, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I signed up for his email newsletter and I love his stuff. He literally has the biggest vocabulary of any person I've ever met. When I talk to him on the phone, I, I just write down the words he uses. How'd you get him on the phone? Well, th so I ended up applying to one of his programs and he made me do recommendation letters and all this stuff. And I ended up getting accepted. I'm like, damn, I haven't done this since college. So it was in LA. I was in New York. I flew across the country 15 times in 15 months just for the chance to get to speak to him for about 30, 45 minutes each time. And I always found it really interesting. Jay is world-class at uh, partnerships and positioning. He is the best. You cannot beat him on that. Um, but I always thought it was interesting that sometimes people would ask him for questions around, you know, like internet, marketing, some esoteric thing. I'm like, you don't come to Jay for that. Just like you don't come to Ramit for the hug. So I think it's really important for us to know who do you go to for what? I'm going to come to critical. Yeah, I'm going to come to James Altucher for awesome ideas, for being inspired, um, for bringing interesting people to the table to talk about high performance. Uh, I'm probably not going to ask James about, um, I don't know, juggling. Working out. Biceps. Mm. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. And you would admit it just as well as anyone else. So there are different people in our lives that we're going to turn to for different things. That's fine. It's like an all-in-one printer. They always suck. So you get the scanner, then you get the printer, then you, you know, everything has its own role that they serve. That's totally cool. I love that. Um, and I, I just think it's important. You shouldn't expect, you shouldn't just be reading James. You shouldn't just be reading Ramit. You should be reading a lot of different people and taking the best of what they have to offer and applying it to your own life. Yeah, and it's okay if you read something and you don't remember afterwards, most of what you read, like maybe what I do is I jot down, here's 10 things I got out of this book right away. So I remember a little bit, but I think if you remember one or 
of what you read. That's good. And then just read a lot and then you have to do a lot. Now, here's what you would come to me for, which is I know from what we our discussions, you're thinking of doing a podcast. So that there's 250,000 podcasts out there. And why the hell are you going to do a podcast? And and by the way, I'm not discouraging you. You should do a podcast. This, the, the audience is is keeps growing and, and there's room for, for a lot of, um, I don't even consider competition. Like there's no competition yet in this space because it's such a big audience. I mean, it's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I keep hearing from my really good friends who are really good at what they do with their business as well. They're like, dude, start a podcast now. And the- Do they give you a why when you ask why? Yeah, they tell me. They say, um, I thought I had a good relationship with my readers. I thought I was deep. I wasn't even close to as deep as what my podcast I, did. I agree with that. Okay. The next thing I hear is when I, now that I have a podcast, that's all people talk about. They don't talk about my too. blog posts. Okay. And that's actually almost, I don't want to say it's depressing to me because I'm really grateful that people get a lot of benefit out of these podcasts and uh, enjoy them so much. It's such a pleasure to create something entertaining. But I spent 25 years crafting a skill of writing. Mm. And now when I run into people, it's all, everybody's listened to the podcast. They, I, I, they, do you, they don't do you, mention the writing. Do you hate your readers now? No, I, I love the readers. I honestly, do because I love writing so much. Like that's a, <laughs> a pleasure for me. But now podcasting has become such a pleasure too. Right. Like, and you kind of find like the five things that are really pleasurable. Yeah. And now podcasting is on that list of five, hmm. you know, along with writing, along with like a couple other things. You know, we actually tried to do a podcast before. And uh, we hired um, a team and we had these really, what we thought were juicy ideas. And after we developed it, we, we ended up with three finished episodes and I listened to it. And honestly, it was like, it was maybe a B, B minus. Yeah. And I just thought to myself- You couldn't handle that. No, I couldn't. I really couldn't. And is it, it's funny because I talk a lot about not being perfectionist when you start and da, 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 da. So in some ways, I'm hypocritical because why would I expect that I would come out of the gate with an A or A plus sure. podcast? Let's say, let's say you played golf for the first time. Yeah, I, not, I would suck. You're not going to be anywhere near a, a pro. But I, it was so painful to me because I had a vision in my head and it was a very This American Life podcast. And the way that it came out just was not. And it, it, it taught me that- And by the way, that's a classic example, This American Life, yeah. because Ira Glass even talks about what he yes. calls the talent gap. Exactly. I, ironically, he has that famous video. He's like, you got to do this for 20 years. Da, da, da. It made me realize how good This American Life is at what they do. Like they make it look easy. It's not easy. I mean, they are just in a class of their own. And it made me also realize we shouldn't try to play that game. We really should not. That's not what we do. That's not what we're good at. Could we be good at it? Maybe if it were 10 years, but it's kind of like me shooting the rifle. Like I did it once and I was like, all right, uh, I don't want to spend 10 years becoming this American life. But but that's why uh, also, I mean, and this, this, this is related to lots of people's advice, but let's say Peter Thiel, Zero to One, his book, uh, where, you know, go into a business where there's no competition in the industry. He, he says competition is anti-capitalist. So find a podcast format where you're unique. So a great example, I mean, I try to do it with my podcast in various subtle ways, but uh, a great overt example is the podcast. Um, it's I love the title, 
Denzel Washington is the greatest actor in history, period. <laughs> and so just from the title alone, you know you're going to have something completely different. Yeah. And they analyze in alphabetical order. Every episode is a, an analysis of a Denzel Washington movie. Wow. And it's just, no one's going to compete with that format. Super niche. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you But it was very this. popular. Every podcast that is sort of in my orbit is somebody interviewing somebody else. Okay. Now it's a little bit ironic that I say I'm kind of tired of those podcasts as I'm on a podcast getting interviewed. No, but you're not. And this is why I say mine has a, a subtle difference. Okay. That that and by the way, I don't expect anybody to to pick up on it because sometimes it is me interviewing somebody else, particularly if I don't know them. But you and I have been having a conversation. What they're listening to is two friends who have spent a thousand hours talking with each other about ideas, sharing some of those hours mm. live, as opposed to me interviewing Barack Obama like a reporter. Uh, I am definitely not that podcast. And that you're right, that interview podcasts are most of that, but I try to weave in the personal with uh, an idea I have about what takes makes peak performance with uh, my my then my interview skills of how can I talk, get Ramit to talk about peak performance in a way that people can relate to. Mm. But a lot of my podcasts, I've been moving more and more towards there's got to be a personal story first, even if I have to create it before the podcast in some way. So so I make mine a little bit different so people can respond and say, well, what's going to be, oh, it's not just him talking to Ramit. What, what personal story am I going to hear also? It's very subtle. I mean, I can say that as a listener of your podcast, it definitely feels like a, a natural conversation. Um, as somebody who's sitting right here across from you with a mic in my face, um, it also feels like we're just talking. Yeah. So, And having been on the other side of the table where I used to interview people, man, it's really hard. You've interviewed me. Yeah. And what, what it does, um, you're making it look easy uh, to keep this conversation going. Um, yes, we have a long friendship and all that, but to keep us on track, but also let us meander when we want to, that is a real skill. So I think to myself, I hear from all these friends who I really respect. They're like, you got to start a podcast. And then I think to myself, okay, I have a lot of things I want to say. I have a lot of stories. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of stuff that I think my readers would like, and maybe they would tell others. Uh, I'm a little stuck on the format. Um, why would I be different, et cetera. So that's where I've been. And in my own business, there's many other initiatives going on. So it's kind of just taken a backseat. I mean, I get this on Twitter all the time. Ramit, when are you going to start a podcast? And I always ask him, what would you want me to talk about? What do they say? They, they have horrible ideas. Oh God. They're like, one guy's like, you should write, you should talk about, um, you know, personal finance after Brexit. I'm like, what? What, what, what is, what's changed? Yeah. He wants me to write another version of my book. Then someone on the podcast, somebody for podcast saying, you should interview some people. I'm like, who? Then they list all the names of the people who do all the podcast rounds. I'm like, I'd rather be dead. Right. So can I, I've come to the king, James Altucher. Tell me what am I doing wrong in my head? Should I even do this podcast or should I not? And if you were me, what would you do? What advice do you have for me? Well, let me ask, let me ask you a couple questions. First off, who are five people who have influenced you a lot in life? It could be personal, professional. Mm. Um, it could be people you don't know. It could be a family member. Mm. Just who are, name five people. My parents, um, Jay Abraham, uh, one, uh, a few of my coworkers, 
Um, my fiance. That's about five. Yeah. Okay. So, so I would do a podcast. Um, we're just riffing here, right? Yeah. I'm just, maybe it's a bad idea. Maybe it's not. Ramit, Sethi, Colin, my influences. Get episode one, my fiance. Wow. And your fiance comes on and you could say, look, don't hold anything back. Uh, just tell me, walk me through it. The, why did you agree to meet me? What's mm. the first thing you thought? What didn't you like about me? Where, where, where do I where, where, where do I display in the studio the list of talking points that I have for her that I want her to hit on every single episode? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you have to say how oh, muscular yes. I am. <laughs> no, tell me all tell me all the things. She's your fiance, right? Tell me all the things you would change about me when, when we're married. Like really get into it. Get her to to open up. Like I've considered having on. Uh, my ex-wife, like, what did I do wrong really? as a husband? Like, the mother of my children. What did I do badly as a father? And, you know, play, like, don't interview, like, so who's making the rounds of uh, podcasts? I won't say any names because they're probably going to come on my <laughs> podcast. But, uh, but like, uh, think of, think, don't do not do the those rounds because you're yeah. right. People could read their book or read their Wikipedia page. And if you're not going to have the interview, um, if you don't feel you're ready to do that kind of interview where you're going to get them out of the box. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to try to fit the podcast in then don't do it. But you could bring like your brother Manish. Yep. Okay. Bring him on and say, Manish, you know, this is what I don't like about you. Mm. Now you tell me what you don't like about me but, and what happened as kids and this and that. But let me ask you this. Cause you, you mentioned Louis CK. Uh, a lot of people study him and they don't understand he's already at the elite level. Uh, like it, I think it would be very juicy and interesting to interview my brother or my fiance or, or whatever. But how many people would care about that aside from the people who already know me? Right. That's a great question. So, so, and again, that's, I'll, I'll relate it to comedy because you brought up Louis C.K. A comedian will bring up a premise first that everyone can relate to. So if you watch Louis 2017, which is his most recent one hour special, it's on Netflix. He did it uh, at, at Madison Square Garden in Philadelphia. Um, he starts off saying, so here's what I think about abortions. So he's going to give you a general philosophy about abortions before he starts narrowing it into something personal or a joke or whatever. He's just going to say something that's a little bit that everyone in the world can either relate to or have an opinion on. And so when you bring your fiance on, everyone's going to be like, oh, I don't know who this guy Ramit is. But he's doing a podcast where episode number one, um, it's titled "What My Fiance Hates About Me," you know, starring my fiance, <laughs> and wow. and so that who's why wouldn't so now picture yourself you're driving into work in some suburb of Chicago and you have a choice to listen to you know X Y V Z famous podcaster interviewing you know you know LeBron James which would might be a great podcast or it might not. Or I can also listen to, oh, who's this guy? I don't know who this guy is, but his he's he seems to have some audience. And he's- Bro, he, you, he, just, he, you he, just set me up to compete with LeBron James. Getting <laughs> no, your fiance is going <laughs> to compete with LeBron oh, yeah, James. Okay. So if that podcast- but that's valuable. Yeah, if that episode doesn't hit, then I'm going to blame my fiance. Okay, I already like this story. <laughs> right. I love it. So, so, But that's valuable. Like maybe I would tune into that because, oh, if I'm going to get- married or maybe there's maybe not but i want to see you know mm. i've been married i want to see what how is this guy going to get his fiance to be honest with him what's she going to say uh 
What did they learn from the experience? You know, you always bring it down to, so it's not so much a story about Ramit and the fiance. Bring it always, always every few minutes, bring it down to something that everyone can relate to. So she could say, oh, I didn't like him because uh, he was wearing this uh, green and pink shirt that I didn't like. Um, so, okay, now there's something general there. Like how often do people judge a book by their cover? And, and you know, and, and if you really wanted to get deeper on the production value, which you don't have to is you can call up someone who's done research. How much do people judge people by, uh, you know, you could have in segments in the middle there. You don't have to have that. That's just a, a, a layer of production you may or may not decide to have. But you could then call your fiance on it like, you can bring her to the general and say, is that what you do with everybody? And, you know, and then it's a back and forth and it's an interesting discussion. You could get her to the edge to the point where she's angry at you. Mm -hmm. And now how are you going to, how are they going to resolve this mid podcast? They're getting married, but she's angry at him because he's asking all these personal <laughs> questions like boom, or you, maybe you're going to get angry because she's going to say stuff. She's going to feel comfortable in the studio setting mm -hmm. and say stuff that actually, cause you just asked her to say it and be honest, you might get angry. And and be offended. I would get offended. You know what? I I'm already offended <laughs> right now that I haven't thought of this myself. I actually love that uh, you spent so much time just now talking about the story, right? Rather than just, um, you know, you need to make sure you get three times a week for 20 minutes or whatever. You didn't even talk about that. Yeah, that's it, not important. It's irrelevant. You're like, here's how to get the juiciest stuff. And the form the rest of it will fall out of that. Yeah, I mean, because if the story's good and it's relatable, not not even if it's good. If you're if you guys are doing a good job talking and it's funny and it's relatable and she's being honest, so mm. it's not like you know a little bit like she, she's not used to it, maybe. So she has to not be stiff. You have to make her comfortable so that she could be as honest as possible. Then someone who's listening to it, who's engaged or who has a friend who's engaged, is now going to share it. Mm. And you get your listeners from sharers, not from your current audience. Your current audience is already going to listen to your podcast. You've already got them. You, your new audience, and this is the reason why your friends have been telling you it's built a better relationship with your audience is because you're, you're, now people are going to share this. Mm. And to new people who don't know about you, like, oh my gosh, Ramit, who's a good guy, you should listen to him anyway. He's talking to his fiance and she just said the most incredible stuff I didn't know about Ramit. And, and meanwhile, he took it and like this was this weird, wild conversation. And then now you have the next one is you have Jay Abraham, who's totally different than your fiance. He's this genius guy uh, who's mentored you to build a multi-million dollar business. That's a totally, and, and you were afraid of him. So you can be honest about that. You're not just interviewing him. You're saying, I was afraid to contact you. And, and then this is what you did for me that you probably don't even realize. And how did you get your start? And then it's a little more of an interview, but still it's that personal highly personal thing that, that everybody can relate to between mentor and mentee. Mm. So that's what I would do. That's the podcast I, I would do. Okay. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is, I mean, I, I've kind of been sitting on this for a while. And I, even as you're saying this, I'm sort of thinking, what am I feeling right now? And you have to feel fear Yeah, a little bit. Like, well, how I, am I going to get my fiance to say this? Like, what if she says that? Or what do I tell her not to say? Yeah. Because I don't want my audience to know. You have to feel a little bit of fear and get and push through that. How do you feel? Else it's not different than anybody else's. That's the concern. And also, I've noticed in my own life that I tend... So you mentioned when you got the call to go do comedy, you felt like a no, but then you said yes. In my life, I've noticed that I tend to say no first, and then... And I'll just deliberate and I'll wait. But when once I'm like, I'm in, then I go all in. 
So I I can tell like right now I can just tell you I'm I'm taking notes on what you're saying and I actually think the fiance example and Jay Abraham those would be amazing episodes. I'm not walking out of this studio like I'm starting my podcast tomorrow. Right. And look, that's just we were just brainstorming for 2 seconds about yeah. that idea. You can also um it's like you said uh to me before, why don't we visit that customer who mm. hates you, which is exactly what you suggested we do last week, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's a potential podcast episode. So you can just have, uh, or people who you've influenced. If you want to do kind of like a cut and dry podcast, but not straight interview, here's the people who mm. you've turned into. You know, your your first book is "I Will Teach You to Be Rich," and your podcast be called could be called "I Taught You to Be Rich," <laughs> and just go and visit all the people who wow. have sent you testimonials and said you you made me a wealthier person in this way or that way or in subtle ways that you might not even be aware of. Just visit them all and explore their li- lives for a little bit and shine the light on them. And 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 we don't, you know, that's a that's that's a genre of podcast, but you have it you could extend that genre instead of just talking to random people who are successful. It's the people you touched mm-hmm. and and you might learn some things from them that you didn't realize you were teaching them that teaches you for your next awesome. thing. Awesome. So, and, then, and, then, and then look, I didn't mention all the perfectionist stuff, like how many times a week, how long should it be? Like, clearly, like right now we're in an audio studio. It took me a year to learn that the best podcasts come from being in an audio studio. And we're in the middle of Midtown, New York City, the most expensive place in the world to do a podcast. It's a nice studio, too. And, and you've got not only that we're we're in a 500 square foot space with with professional, the most professional mics of all. I've got my, the clock and everything. We've got musical instruments all around us, you, so we could start playing the guitar. And uh, you got Jay, who's been an audio engineer for 10 years, doing all the audio engineering. This place is cheap as shit. Like it's, and you know, that's all I had to do. You know what else James is not telling everybody. I'm not kidding about this. You are looking directly at a 60-inch massive screen. And guess what's on that screen? <laughs> it's literally a picture of James himself. You're yeah. looking at a picture of yourself for the last two hours. What is going I, on here? I don't even know why that's there, to be <laughs> honest. Jay, shouldn't we put more interesting... Like, what, what about I should put my notes about Ramit or something up there? <laughs> so let's make this... I could up my game right now by throwing all my notes. Ramit well, doesn't even have to know. I'm looking at notes about him. Listen, you know, or Ramit could be saying stuff and you could be Googling it and putting it on that screen. Like, we should really be upping listen, my game here. James, you come across as really humble and vulnerable, but I just want everyone to know you've been staring at a picture of yourself for two hours. <laughs> right, but it's a real hideous picture of myself, so I'm not really proud of it. I got to get a new headshot and no one's done it for me. Oh, oh I got to get a new I can't do anything until I get a headshot. I, I know that. I know that story. Uh, okay, speaking of that, can we talk about vulnerability for a second? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you wrote this article, and it's kind of in my face a little bit. Not directly, but, yeah. you know, everybody thinks, oh, it's so— And you mentioned this in the article. Oh, I can really, really relate to James because he's so vulnerable. And that's true. Vulnerability is kind of an important thing. So you're, you wrote an article— uh, uh, can we cut it out with the vulnerability already in, yeah. in writing? I'll, I'll, I'll let me read the exact title. Um, oh, I gotta unlock my computer. Um, and then I gotta find the article. Oh, please stop writing about how vulnerable you are. Okay, if I see another one of these Instagram posts where someone posts this quote and they're like, show your vulnerability, open your heart, and your life will flourish. I'm gonna jump off a bridge. Well, I agree with that, and 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 I want to. Oh, I'm sorry. I, that time I shouldn't have interrupted you. You go. Let, let me just say this. I think that there has been a trend of 
everybody talking about vulnerability. And to tell you the truth, I could benefit a lot from being a little bit more vulnerable. You and I actually sat on the stage and I used you in this example, in, in the article. We both spoke uh, at a conference and one of my- what, what conference? I have such a bad memory. It was a days. Michael Ellsberg conference. Oh yeah, I remember it now. And, and I did some panel thing and then you did some panel thing and one of my coworkers was there and she came up to me after. She goes, you mind if I give you some feedback? Now the truth is mostly everyone just blows smoke up your ass and says, you're great after a speech. She goes, James has made and lost tens of millions of dollars. Why is it that he's more relatable than you are? And I think that's a really good point. I tend to be a little bit more aloof. Um, I could benefit a lot. I've actually worked on that a lot. I'm, I've been writing a lot of stuff. I've been sharing a lot more stuff than I normally do. And I'm just, I'm actually really enjoying the process, even though it's challenging. But, and this is a huge but, it seems that nowadays, it's more popular to be vulnerable than to actually be good. And I totally disagree with that. The reason you see Oprah and Richard Branson and all these people talking about vulnerability and you're actually reading their articles and watching their videos is that they're really good at what they do. So you could be, and we have, a, we have something we call a vulnerability status matrix. See, everybody talks about vulnerability. Nobody talks about- And that's the, in the article. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a two by two square. And I want to start from- there's vulnerable and not vulnerable. And then there's something nobody talks about, low status and high status. So you get the person in the top right corner. Think of a great leader. This is an aspirational leader. They're vulnerable, but they're also high status. That's the kind of person we, we might aspire to be. In the bottom right, you have a high status person who's not vulnerable. That's what I've been accused of a lot. I think it's pretty accurate. I've professionally been you know, successful, um, but I'm not vulnerable. Do you think it's hurt you professionally by not having a little more of Definitely. what someone calls vulnerability? 100%, 100%. Because I can see there are people out there who would otherwise be, I could help them and they might like what I have to say, but I rub them the wrong way. And I don't think that's good. I don't want to hold myself up as some paragon. This is something I'm working on. Well, it's funny because you're, I mean- your your book has a very confident title. Your first book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Actually, that's like your second book, right? But this is your first like big book. And um, uh, and then you say things like, don't don't even apply if you're this, this, yeah. this, or this. So you have that kind of like, you know, that's, you, you, you put that foot forward yeah. first. Yeah, that's right. Which is not bad. We talked about that. No, it's already. authentic. It's, it's how I talk. But there's also, you can be multidimensional. Like I, somebody made a comment, um, I think it was on Quora. They're like, is Ramit really an asshole? <laughs> and then someone was like, you know, if you actually are a customer, you'll notice that once you join one of his programs, he's really different. And that is very true because I really focus on that, that top 5%, top performers. Um, I want to spend all my time and attention on them. But if you can't be bothered to read a blog post, then I frankly, you know, you should read it, don't read it. That's really up to you. I think that I could do a better job of communicating that I'm I'm doing this because I love it and I care. And I think there's there's a huge room for improvement, um, for me to connect better. And that's something I'm working on. Let me just finish up with this matrix. So uh, if you, this is a, this is a, man, this is bad. If you're not vulnerable and you have low status, so you basically think you're awesome, but you suck, you're what we call a delusional wannabe. And then, or, or by the way, a stand-up comedian, because that's all, because <laughs> that's often the persona of a stand-up oh, comedian. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then, if you are vulnerable 
but low status. This is about 85% of people on Instagram who will write about all their problems and vulnerabilities. Oh, today I'm feeling insecure about this, but they're actually kind of low status. That's a loser. So loser being maybe the hardest word you could use. Like it's a, it's very harsh. I get it. And 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 let's say at the other end of the words you could use, which which might be just as bad to use, is brave, which they're often called. What? They're they're somewhere in the in the middle. Wait, uh, are you saying loser and brave are the same thing? No, okay. I'm saying someone who says, um, "Oh, I'm I'm really afraid because I'm divorced with three kids and I'm going through menopause and I'm unemployed." And so that's kind of the vulnerable low status. I I would not call that person a loser. Okay. And I, th- I think it's important. This is a really important distinction, which I cover in the article. I don't want anybody to think that um, what I'm saying is if you have a vulnerability, that you're a loser. That is not the case at all. We all have problems. In fact, we all have problems we think about every single day of our lives. Professional, personal, financial, there's no shame in that. What I am saying, and I want to be really clear, is there's been a movement to lead with vulnerability. Just be vulnerable and that in and of itself is a value. And my belief is start by getting good. Lead with excellence. Vulnerability can come and you could do it at the same time, you can do it after. But if you just are vulnerable, if you just talk about um, issues you have or problems without solving it, without getting really good, without putting in the time to be a stand-up comic or a writer or whatever it is you want to do, then you can use this grid to find out where you'll end up. Sure. And- so there's so so as with everything we've been talking about, um, and and you're aware of this. There's the nuances in this. So a lot of times I agree with you. Like, a, I started writing these types of articles. I don't know, ten years ago or eight years ago, and I felt like, for better or for worse, at least in the past couple of years, other people are almost. People will send me emails like so and so is trying to. Dude, they copy all copy you. Come on, they all rip you out, and they all are horrible at it. Yeah, and there's and there's. I don't want to say they're necessarily horrible. It's it's there's one thing I see that they're not doing, mm. which is somebody will say um, something like, "We've all shed tears in relationships," and yeah, I don't okay. care about all. What about you? Right. Well, that's the thing. Nobody will actually tell yeah. their real. They'll say they'll say I've shed tears in relationships. We okay. I get that. Of course you have. Like you're not telling me anything new. I want to know exactly your husband was a, a drug addict, sex addict, whatever. And, you know, you were one time drop, he dropped you off on the highway in the middle <laughs> of a fight and, and you couldn't get your way home and blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to know the real hardest, yeah. dirtiest parts. Totally. And that's the story now. Now I'm like, I can choose between watching Star Wars again or reading your post. It's and juicy. now you'll drag me along or not drag me along, but now you'll bring me along this journey from vulnerability until the you know you know dealing with all of these horrible things that you had to deal with worse and worse and worse until you finally came to the point where you're writing this article yeah. and then I could choose if you're writing something aspirational I can choose oh he or she did this I could choose whether or not that often in my life if you're just writing a story then that's great it's entertainment but you have to do one or the other you 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 can't just say I shed tears you have to tell me exactly in detail what happened and you have to be good at it there's a craft to writing the the truth is so hard to be honest about and i remember reading stephen king's book on writing and he talks about what a novice writer would do if they're writing a scene for an elevator uh and you know an elevator's falling and you're about to die 
and the novice writer would say something like, he would give the character this quote, oh, mother, right before he dies. And Stephen King's like, that's not what somebody would say. If you were in an elevator about to die, you're going down the thing, you would say, oh, shit. And that the, the honesty to get to that level is really, really hard. By the way, let me just point out that you, your stories, one of the reasons I love your story so much, and your posts and your podcast, they don't always end with a happy ending. A lot right. of times they're actually pretty unhappy uh, or they just meander into something, but it was highly entertaining. The other reason I like it is that you're actually really accomplished. So I know I can learn something from you. I know I can be entertained. But the point of this, um, the article on vulnerability is um, you should write openly about your, you can share that. You don't have to, but there's a difference between just anyone sharing their vulnerabilities and actually getting really good. You're great at investing, great at writing, great at communication, great at podcasting. That's why people are listening to you. It's not just that you are vulnerable. There's a million other vulnerable people out there. So for everyone listening, I just, I would really encourage you to check out the article. We have 150 plus comments where people are saying, this is a new way that I'm looking at the world now. Yeah, so so the article again is, please stop writing about how vulnerable you are. And it's on the website, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. And, and I think it is really important about communication. It's good to be vulnerable. It, vulnerability does increase likability. Like you just said, you know, you could appear aloof to some people or, or some people have told you that. But at the same time, I'll have people ask me, you know, questions on Quora, is James Aldridge just making all this up? Mm. So there's always a downside because people can't believe like, why would, he's only admitting all this stuff to maybe sell his 99 cent books <laughs> or whatever. Uh, like, but, but I think, I think I'm not, uh, it's not like I'm vulnerable in an article as a goal. It's just I think there's a craft of writing a good story. Yeah. Like a blog post or even or a tweet or a show or a movie or or a book that's uh, that's totally informational should also be a story. A podcast. This podcast has been a story cuz mm -hmm. we talk about all the different things we've been through, some together, some not. We've helped each other solve problems. It's been, and the reader's been along this story with us, or the listener has been along on this story with us. So, um, you know, and 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 you were vulnerable. I don't know what to do with a podcast and what should I do? And we were brainstorming. It might be a good idea, it might not be. So there's lots of ways, but it's all, it's not like I'm saying, oh, I shed tears before I started this podcast. We all shed so tears. <laughs> right? It's just like, you got to do hard things and this is what I did and this is the worst part of it and then how I got out yeah. of it. So I, I think for, for all of us listening, I, you know, whether you are thinking about vulnerability or not, I was just because I saw these godforsaken Instagram posts. I think that there are a lot of rules society tells us. And whether it's buy a house or get married, have 2.5 kids, uh, whether it's be vulnerable because everyone else on your feed is being vulnerable. Like there are a lot of subtle things that society tells us and we we sort of swim along. Of course, we are social animals. We want to fit in and we just do them. I love that you question those things. I've never seen so many angry comments as when you tell people buying a house is not a good investment. Same for me when I write about that. Um, yeah, that's that's been my most popular yeah. article, for instance, on LinkedIn ever. Yeah, it's, it's religious, the belief that yeah. people have. And I always find it hilarious how quickly the counter arguments fall apart. It's like, let's talk about the math. Oh, uh, this and that. Um, I had somebody, I was talking about negotiating rent recently and somebody on Facebook said, 
negotiating rent. What city do you live in? And I said, oh, a little city called Manhattan. You might have heard of it. You can negotiate your rent in a lot of, in every place. It just depends on the market. It doesn't matter what the landlord feels in their heart. It's just, what is the market? That's it. Um, And last year I did negotiate my rent down in Manhattan. So try it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of rules in society that are not really rules. You just think they are. And again, whether it's vulnerability or rent or what you look like, there's a lot of things you can change about yourself. That is, uh, you know, you wrote, choose yourself. So choose yourself, challenge those rules. There's a lot of things you would never know are possible until you actually try it. Well, I'm going to end on that, the recommendation for my book, but I'll also say, check out Ramit's excellent book, which I've read twice over in preparation for this, this series of podcasts, Your Move, The Underdog's Guide to Building Your Business. Also check out his article. Uh, please stop writing about how vulnerable you are. And I agree with that sentiment so much. And Ramit and I go way back, so I know his books are valuable and he's helped a ton of people. There's so many people I run into like, oh, I found you through Ramit. And I'm like, how'd that work out for you? And they're always, I have to admit, like we've even talked about some names last time. I can't believe how successful some of these people are. So uh, thanks once again for coming on my podcast. I hope you do your podcast and have me on it one of these days. So thanks again, Ramit. Thanks, James. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you and it will only take 30 seconds or less. And it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for the James Altucher show and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.